You're listening to the Joelle Martin Mastery Podcast, home of the two-hour deep dive interview with gold, platinum, and multi-platinum bands, including Stained, Blue Rodeo, The Arkells, Finger Eleven, Big Wreck, Moist, Bedouin Soundclash, I Mother Earth, Ill Scarlet, Neverending White Lights, Thornley, and many more. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast as well as share, comment, and like. Now let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We are joined by a very special guest. He's achieved a level of mastery as a producer, as a songwriter, and as the drummer for the multi-platinum and Juno award-winning band Finger Eleven. So welcome to the podcast, Steve Malella. Steve, how are you and how good does it feel to be back on the road playing live shows after a lengthy hiatus because of all these pesky lockdowns? Well, Joel, thanks for that uh, intro. Uh, yeah, feels good, man. It was uh, that was way, way too long. Uh, even just, it's great to play shows um, again, obviously, but um, just kind of hanging with the guys again, right? There's that whole uh, sort of family feeling that we have with that band, like uh, you know, when we're on the road together, uh, hanging out before and after the shows, it feels good to uh, get a dose of that again. So, and. You know, for a lot of bands, a lot of musicians, it was almost like a two-year period with no shows. In your case, it, it yeah. was almost three, wasn't it? Like a year leading up to the pandemic, you guys were more focused on writing, yeah, because on we were, new music. You can never predict, you know, especially a pandemic coming up. So we were focusing on uh, new music. We were taking a bunch of uh, uh, these cottage trips. We'd go away for like four nights and just, you know, compile a bunch of new songs, new demos, and then. Uh, uh, come back home for a bit and then you know a couple months later go back and then you know with hopes that we would start touring again and then cut a new record and then all of a sudden the pandemic happens and then we you know that's two years uh and then after that once everything kind of opened up we were trying to find the right show and we, we were noticing once everything kind of got back uh it was like that stop start thing because like you know people were booking shows but then they'd get canceled book shows and then they would never happen. Right. Cause it was always like that lockdown and then just kidding. And then back and forth. Right. So uh, we waited till things were actually like open, open that we wouldn't have to cancel on our fans or anything like that. Um, so when we finally got, which was good, like a hometown show, uh, well, hometown for the guys where they grew up in Burlington. So. Yeah. You're, you know, I, I feel for your fans because, you know, it's been a long time since the last album came out. Yeah. Uh, fans, fans get wind that, you know, before the pandemic, you guys are starting to write again. There's that light at the end of the yeah. tunnel and yeah. then a global pandemic pushes that back another two, you know, two or three years. So uh, you guys have diehard fans. I see them online. Everyone's excited. And uh, maybe we can dive into that in a little bit. You, you actually, after this interview, you're heading to Soundcheck. You actually have a show tonight. And yeah. this episode actually launches in a few hours today. So even when people hear this, it'll be tonight. Um, so this is Maxwell's in Waterloo. And you guys are yeah. playing with I Mother Earth, another yeah. uh legendary Canadian band love those guys yeah that's awesome and I I've seen the last few shows so you had a Toronto show you had an Ottawa show both of those sold out and the last yep. time I checked for Maxwell's tickets were 80 90 percent sold out so man yep. the fans are coming out what does that mean to you after all these years the fans are just still showing that love and support it's awesome man I'm I'm as happy as we are to play the shows we're and I can speak for the rest of the guys we're happier for for the fans that they get to enjoy that again, right? Like they, 
you know, a lot of people, including myself, we, you want something to do, right? You want something to look forward to. So you buy a ticket. You have that thing where in a month from now or two months from now, you get to like go out with your friends and enjoy your one of your favorite bands and sing along to your favorite songs. And that got as much as, you know, us, uh, like the artists got that stripped away from us. The fans got it stripped away too, right? So I'm, we're, we're happy for them that they get to uh, enjoy that again. So... Yeah, so I, I I was there for the Ottawa show recently, and I, I brought out two friends that knew Finger Eleven, liked Finger Eleven songs, but they had never seen the band live. And the three of us were just losing our minds uh, in the crowd. So it was, that was a it was fun awesome. show, too. Was it a was a lot of fun. And we'll uh, we'll we'll dive into that uh, yeah. a little later on, because yeah. there's a lot we can talk about about that show. Um, so I. I I like to start off the podcast by sharing with our listeners how I actually know the guests. So I, I'm all about networking and, and building community and fostering relationships. So in our case, it goes back to uh, about a year ago, I had done a two and a half hour deep dive interview with your bandmate, Rick Jacket from Finger Eleven. And yep. You know, I spend a week promoting each episode. So you got tagged over and over again. It, it was probably like spam to you, but keeping you. Oh, in the it's loop good. I watched. Was, I mean, it's it, it was good watching uh, parts of that interview too. Yeah, yeah. So keeping you in the loop. So that's probably the first time that that you know knew I existed, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, um, you would watch the David Bottrell episode, super producer David Bottrell, who's yep, worked with yep. Tool and Peter Gabriel and everyone. You just said, "Hey, love that interview." And then a few months ago, I had uh, Finger Eleven's. Um, not original drummer because they had one before that, but Rich yeah. Beto who played. Yeah, on, I watched that know, one too. That was that was awesome, man. Yeah, so Rich played on you know four of of the Finger Eleven albums, and yeah. you actually it's the first time we communicated. You sent me a message and just said, "I love the interview. I love the insight. I loved his positivity. Um, yeah. I loved his side of the story." And you said it made me so happy to see him uh, doing doing so well. So I thought that that you know, was, was amazing to hear you say that because, you know, in the industry, sometimes there's, there's egos and grudges and these sure. things. And yeah. I thought that mental, you know, that meant a lot to me. And I thought that was amazing. And I actually shared, I talked to Rich a lot and I shared with him yeah. that you had kind words and it meant a lot oh, to wow. him. And I, I wanted to kick this off powerfully. So I actually got Rich Beto to to help me out here so he sent in some kind words so uh this is from former finger 11 drummer rich beto uh this is what he says he wrote a lot so hang tight here he said i only met steve briefly many years back i was helping out a young country star and went to his parents house to have her do some vocals on a song of his i believe i remember him being quite passionate about things and could tell arnold lanny had been a wonderful mentor to him When I heard he was then playing shows with my former bandmates, I had a bitter taste in my mouth. Uh, You know, with anyone associated with them, like they were the enemy. Well, a lot has changed in my life since that time, as you know. I now find a true sense of pride in the Finger Eleven legacy and watching Steve play the songs with the guys. It brings me nothing but positive feelings. He's a fantastic drummer and brings beautiful new energy to the band. Along with his playing, Steve is a great producer and all-around musician. He communicates the language of songs beautifully. I got nothing but love for Steve, and I'm so very proud of you and all your achievements. I can see how great a man you are, and I wish you much success. I will always be cheering you on as your biggest supporter. 
I can't wait to see all the things you have in store with both Finger 11 and otherwise. God bless you. And thanks for not messing up my parts. LOL. Just kidding. Uh, all the <laughs> best and very Merry Christmas to you and your family. So that's from Rich Beto, uh, Man, former what a guy. 11 drummer. So I, awesome, I, thanks yeah. for sharing that. I got to reach out to him. Yeah. I mean, like you said before, like, you know, me sharing those words with him uh, after your podcast, no one wants to see anybody go through anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like you always want to root for, for, uh, not just a fellow musician, but like a, a, a friend, right? Even somebody you just met for that matter. Um, but I, yeah, I did meet Rich. It's funny, I met Rich first. Like he, like he had mentioned, it was with um, this uh, country artist. And so we hung out a few times. And uh, I remember asking Rich, like, hey, like, because remember, I, I started off as a, as a huge fan of the band, right? So I remember asking Rich, like, hey, when are you guys going to get back on the road or like, you know, play some shows, new music and like that? And I guess at that time it was, it was, they were going through their, their thing. Right. So um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll get into obviously the story of how I, how I joined and stuff, but he, to me, uh, he was just, uh, he's such, he was a, you know, a good guy. And then, and, and watching that uh, podcast he did and I watched the whole thing, just seeing his, his view and where he's at now. And um, I'm, I am really happy for him. So I got to reach out to him. That was really kind of him to uh, say those words. Yeah, I, I thought on both of your parts be, between your words and his words that it showed, you know, a lot of maturity and a lot of character. And uh, when Rich and I, you know, we talk pretty frequently and um, he had mentioned that, you know, having someone else have your role in in the band it, it's like an ex-girlfriend where it's like 100 it, it's just, like I was it's, it's just gonna say that you know it's over yeah. you know it's for the best but seeing someone else there with the ex-girlfriend there's still a part of you that feels like you know there's still something there even though yeah. it shouldn't be there so that's the best example him and i could come up with so yeah that's awesome that that's very nice of him and so Let's, you know, pe people look at you today and they see this successful drummer, successful songwriter and producer. Uh, I like to go all the way back to the beginning because we have a lot of young musicians paying attention and they see kind of the final product, even though you have a lot of great stuff on yep. the way, there's still growth, but people see a final product and say, oh man, he's had so much success. I could never you know, be that good of a drummer. Or I can never achieve what he's achieved. And I, I like to show people that, man, we all started in diapers with no skills yep. and it yep. was a lot of hard work and dedication and vision and, and support from others. So let's take it back to the beginning. Um, when you think back to when you were super young, do you have an earliest musical memory? It, it, where does this love of music come yeah. from? Does something it's, stand it, out to it's, you? It's, it's, it starts way, way back. My, my dad, it, it, a lot of, a lot of these, uh, stories of how things came to be it's all rooted from my my dad he was always touring in bands um uh drumming right and so when i was in diapers i'd be at my at my my parents house in the basement and his the band would be rehearsing here till like whatever you know midnight you know 10 o'clock at night so i'm just there and I'm just kind of taking it all in, right? And they were really, really, really good musicians, these guys. And and um, so that's, I was always around music, always, right? Um, so that's kind of where it started. That was my, that was my first, uh, I guess, musical memory would be right being played live right in front of me. Um, and, 
you start learning, you know, and my dad was always very, um, uh, you know, he would always push. Don't just like, you know, listen as a, as a listener, this is as I started getting a little older, it'd be, you know, pick out the harmonies that, that, that everyone's doing, pick out the, the rhythm patterns, the time signatures and this and that. So like, you know, when we were, we'd be in the car and I'd be singing along to the, to the song and I'd be singing the lead and he'd be like, why are you singing the lead for? Like, it's already done. Sing a harmony that either isn't there or pick out a harmony that's in the song or write a counter melody. And you're like nine years old. You just want to enjoy, you know, living on a prayer or something like that. It's just like, but so that's sort of where it stems from. Uh, a lot of it stems from uh, my dad and my, and my brother as well, older brother. We um, uh, toured in, in a band together and he's got an incredible ear as well. So that's, uh, that's where it starts from. So, so people know you as a drummer, but behind you, there's guitars, there's basses. I've seen videos of you working with other musicians yeah. and you're playing a bass or you're playing guitar. So were drums the first instrument? Drums, were the, drums were the first instrument. Yeah. When I was, you know, when I was two, my, my dad would hold me up because I couldn't reach the pedal yet. Right. So he just kind of hold me up yeah. and like um, on the kit and I'd be, and I'd be playing. And I remember at least I, I can't remember this because I was four years old, but my dad would tell me the first groove I learned how to play was uh, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, which is the most common, like, you know, two and four drum beat you can learn. Um, so I was always around uh, drums, drums first for, for a while, right? Right through elementary school and high school, I had bands. And then I picked up uh, guitar when I was maybe 17. It's a little later. Um, and the reason I did that was because I was playing in a band and the songs, I guess, you know, I came to learn that the songs weren't that great. <laughs> so we would send them around. People were like, you know, it's kind of cool, but you know, songs aren't really there. So I was like, shit, we gotta, we gotta write some better songs. Well, I'm like, well, I can't write songs on drums. Um, I mean, unless it's like, we will rock you or something like that. But other than that, 99% of the songs are written with, you know, something with, uh, with the tone. Um, so I picked up guitar. And just, I had a really good uh, friend of mine that was an incredible guitar player. And he, he, he taught me the basics, I guess. And then I kind of just took it from there. So yeah, I play guitar, uh, bass, drums, sing. Um, but again, I, I have a circle of people that play all these instruments better than I do. So when I'm in, whenever I'm in the studio, um, I'll call on them to give their, you know, professional uh, talent to me. And who would you say were your biggest drumming influences uh growing up were there people already you were looking out and there's like the great drummers that that inspired you to to practice and take lessons and get better yeah um well i started off before before any like rock or pop uh i grew up on funk because that was my again my dad like with his band like kind of a funk band and um so like david garibaldi for example from tower of power that was like the first guy that I uh, looked up to her, Dave Weckl. He's like a, um, just a, you know, he's one of the best drummers in the world, technical kind of jazzy, whatever. And then from there, it was Dave Grohl for me. That's when I knew songs were um, integral to what I, I do and what I gravitated towards, right? It wasn't just like, you know, while everybody else was like, you know, Neil Peart and, and these guys, which is, they're, they're incredible, but it was always Dave Grohl, Travis Barker, they made music with their drums. Like they made, they wrote, they wrote hooks with their drums. You know what I mean? And they played to the songs so well and they wrote the catchiest drum, drum beats. 
right? So like, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit, that iconic uh, drum intro. It's like, as simple as it is, that's one of the most iconic drum intros in rock music, right? So uh, I'd say Dave Grohl, Travis Barker for me. Yeah, I, I would say those are two of the greatest drummers of our generation. Yeah, right? yeah. Just crazy talent. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a kid, was there anything that you wanted to be growing up before you you decided, you know, maybe I want to be a musician full time? Any any like kid dreams of like Man. playing in the NHL or yeah, being a playing fireman? In the, playing in the NHL. Something? It started off as I was I was um, so I, I play hockey since I was, you know, four years old. I was in skates. So I play rep hockey and you always have that. There's always like that you know, that part that you reach where, man, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a really good hockey player. I'm scoring all these goals. It's like, you automatically think when you're young and innocent, it's like, Oh, NHL. for sure. NHL. Yeah. Right? So then you realize you start getting old enough. It's like, Oh, these other players in the league are so much better than I am. Right. So there, that, there went that. I got into golf heavily addicted to the game. Still am. Uh, I don't play as much cause I'm super busy, but when I was younger, I got into golf and I started um, playing really well. And I had a, uh, a golf coach and, uh, I worked at when I was 16, I worked at a golf store and a golf camp um, and a golf co- and a golf course. So I can get, you know, cheap clubs and free golf, right? It's an expensive sport. You're 16, 17, and you want to, you know, you want to play every day. Um, so that's what, that, that's what I did there. And um, yeah, so I, I, it turned into now I want to make the PGA tour. Right. And my, my scores got pretty low. I was playing in tournaments and competitive uh, but then from there with the band that I was playing with, we started going on tour a bunch. So then it's like, Oh, I could do this. Cause I'm actually, you know, making money at this and I can, you know, but then I started, you know, writing songs and producing records, just like in a small room and in, in a basement. Right. And then from there, that's that, that took the focus. Cause I started, I noticed that I started getting busy and meeting the right people. So now golf is uh golf and hockey are, um, both hobbies of mine, which I still, which I still play from time to time. So you mentioned going on tour with some bands. Uh, our listeners love when I ask our guests mm. if they played in any bands growing up. And if so, what are some of the names of the bands? They love oh, hearing man. these names of the oh, bands because the sometimes the, there's some ridiculous. The names ones. are the best because they're so ridiculous. So I was 15 when I joined a band. Uh, they were already a band. They were looking for, for, for a drummer. And I was 15 and a friend of mine, he uh, said, hey, I, you know, I have a... Uh, a friend of a friend that's looking for a drummer they're in a band they were called the fifth okay so they were the fifth and then the fifth sort of turned into uh new members i got my you know my brother in the band and that friend of mine that i said had taught me guitar i got him in the band then that was called uh simmer simmer was the band name from simmer turned into afternoon zero which was one band and then from the names are all pretty good so far they're not bad they're not bad pretty good then then uh, from there, I went into the balconies, who you know very well. Um, and then from the balconies was was Finger Eleven. So, so it wasn't like, you know, I had 30 bands or something like that. But that was the evolution, I guess, when I was 15. Yeah, I... I sent you sent you a message when I found out you were in the balconies. Uh, being from Ottawa, when I was in my teens, like, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, 19, I used to play shows and i was in vocal competitions and battle of the bands with jackie from the balconies back then they were called jackie in the kitchen which is a horrible name and and years later when i moved to toronto uh i find there's this 
the balconies band that's doing great things signed to a label i think they're working with arnold right there were or yep. they're that's how, I, that's how i met them yep okay and they were i was like oh my god like one of us made it this is amazing and they were so good and i actually went out to see them live and you might uh actually it was they were the three piece where they she's like three. related to yep. one or both of them or whatever yep. um so actually that was before you but yeah we i go way back to my teens with jackie and jackie in the kitchen in the balcony so it was awesome to see the success that they had and it was so cool to see that you actually were playing with them uh for a few years yeah, that was so. That's when I was already um, with Arnold, uh, Lanny, the producer. Um, so he had said, "Hey, I'm working with this band called The Balconies. I'd love to get you part of this project." So um, we did it. I was already living in California at the time. I was there for five years, and Balconies rolls through. And what started off as just kind of like you know helping out on, on on the album, to then drumming on the album because they. It was this weird dynamic. It was the three of them, right? It was Jackie, who was singing and playing guitar. Her brother, Steve, was the bass player. And Liam was the drummer. Liam's a crazy talented dude. He's actually, a. we found out, um, and I'm sure he'll tell you this, he was a way better guitar player than he was a drummer. He was a good drummer, but he was a phenomenal guitar player. One of my, honestly, one of the my favorite guitar players I've, I've played with. And while we were in the studio arnold was like hey liam can like play guitar really well i'm like yeah like really well he's like so why don't we why don't you play the drums in this record and liam plays guitar that way jackie can just focus on vocals like she doesn't have to play guitar in the sound like there's no it doesn't need to be her so i was like okay yeah that's that's pretty cool so we we you know uh pitched that to them they went for it and then so that turned on to me drumming and then sort of co-producing it with arnold I was in one room tracking and he was in another room tracking. He had like a studio A and studio B. Um, and then it was like, hey, we got offered a tour to go uh, go to Europe for a month with Rival Sons. I was like, oh, you know, good luck. And they're like, yeah, you got to come on. The, you got to come on the road. Like this is this is the new you know formation that we're that we're going to going to go with. So I was like, OK, fine. It's one tour. So I tell Arnold, I'm like, OK, Arnold, I'll be back in like three and a half weeks or something like that. But then after this tour, you guys got to get a drummer. Like, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm done with touring. Like I, I'm doing this now. This is why I'm in California, make records. And then one month turned into three years. So I was with them for three years, uh, you know, on and off of touring. And I would always go back to California. Right. And then, and then go back and then we got more tours and did Europe and then did Iceland. And it was amazing. It took me to some incredible parts of the world. Uh, and it was just so fun to play with. They're all very talented. Jackie's incredibly talented. She's just an amazing front woman and uh, songwriter, guitar player, just everything. Like one of the best performers. Um, so that's how that, you know, the evolution of me with the balconies, what started off as just like assisting Arnold, turning into drumming and then co-producing it and then, you know, being in the band for three years. Yeah, you never know when you say yes to something where it's going to lead, right? You can only look back and see where yeah. all the dots are. And it was connected. at that point where you're still, again, you're still you don't want to say no to any, any opportunity. That's how you create a name for yourself. And that's how you, um, you develop your own craft. Right. So that's, you, you never want to, you never want to turn anything down because you don't know where it could, it could lead because when I uh, auditioned with finger 11, again, I'm sure we'll get into that. They had come out to a balcony show to see me and that sort of sold it for them. Right. You know, you do an audition then they come out to a live show and they're like, okay, yeah, this, this is, 
this is going to work. So if I hadn't stayed, I didn't really have a band to play with to sort of showcase what I do live. So I guess that everything happens for a reason. That's awesome. Yeah, their their single Do It In The Dark was like my favorite song when that came out. Man, yeah, I, that, was I, awesome. that was when I saw that, that to me, that was like, OK, they've made it like that is like a perfect rock love that pop track, song. Yeah. The music yeah. video is awesome. Um, sonically, like the actual recording was yep. as good as anything else to me yep. that, that was, that song was like the epitome of, of, you know, the band reaching their full potential. And I feel like maybe you feel the same way about this. I actually feel like the balconies were a little bit early, like ahead of everything that's going on because you start, you see bands like, uh, say like the beaches or, or wet leg or anything like that. It's like the balcony, like. I'm not saying that, you know, Jackie was first like doing that, but that was at a time where it's like, was that two, five years too, too early? Like the, the female fronted rock. With those kind of songs. Yeah. With that indie sort of, you know, yeah. grungy, grungy pop rock songs. Right. Uh, and the bal- the balconies were as good as any of the bands you just named. Like, that's what I mean. They were, like they yeah. were, I, I, I believe that. And Jackie as good as a performer as anybody. She, you can't go on after her. Like that's a, that's a very, very, very tough job if you're going on after Jackie. Yeah. And I almost didn't recognize them, her, when I, when I saw the band in Toronto, thinking back to when we were teenagers and it was more like, you know, really like pop covers and, and yeah. they, they weren't that heavy yet. And she wasn't that, you know, uh, like rock God up front. Right. So, yeah. So and that's kind of cool. And she fit right into that role. So let's let's go back uh, a few years. If I met you at twelve years old, yeah. who am I meeting? Oh, uh, you're meeting a guy who wanted to play in the NHL. <laughs> twelve years old, pretty That's much. Where you right? were. Uh, yeah. Um, were you outgoing? Were you shy? Yeah, Did always. You... I think it was always an extroverted, outgoing dude. Always. Yeah, I would okay. be. I thought. I guess I would be road hockey every single day right after school it's like get home backpack away uh back out to the schoolyard road hockey back home dinner you know schoolyard back home road hockey it was almost every day which it's crazy like i we don't we don't i don't see that anymore i drive around i see none of that now it's home from school ipad 100 yeah and it's not saying that it is what it is like that that's just what today is and i'm sure these kids are learning learning a ton they're definitely more technologically advanced than we ever were uh growing up but that's what that's who you would meet you would meet a excited uh you know fun loving kid that just wanted to play hockey and just hang out with friends yeah we're we're pretty similar at 12 now at at 16 if you and i were friends at 16 and you invited me over to your place to play some music for me. Yeah. What albums would you be spinning at 16? Tip. Tip for sure. Finger 11. So this is like 98 uh, ni- ish, 97, 98, or I guess, uh, yeah, I guess it would be around there. Uh, make yourself incubus. Uh, make yourself incubus. Uh, when did that come out? 97 that came out, right? Make yourself. Yeah. Uh, that was closer that- to the two thousands because, uh, drive drive was one of the biggest songs of 2001 with it's been a while and with how you remind you me. sure I'm, I'm pretty sure uh science from incubus came out in like science I, was I, nine 95 was it not 
I gotta, say, I gotta say, Make Yourself was 97. It has to be 97. Because Morning View came out 2000. 2000. Man, we gotta figure this out. I, I, we hold on. Okay, okay. Yeah. You, you keep talking about albums, and I'll check real quick. But science, science, I thought was like 98, and I thought Make Yourself was closer to 2000, uh, because Incubus was on the Family Values tour playing Science, and that was like uh, 98. Oh, okay. Anyways, if you can think of yeah. any other albums you'd be listening yeah. to, I'll double but I'd check. Say, yeah, I'd say um, Navid, OLP. Oh. Yeah, you jamming that? Uh, White Pony, Deftones. Great drum sounds on that one. Oh, I-, I talked about that Incredible. in the last episode with Jordan Incredible. Gochi. Incredible, so, yeah. like phenomenal. And just, and I love the fact that they, uh, the tones are all, they spent so much time. Nothing was like sample replaced. Like they spent so much time getting those drum tones. Where now modern rock, it's like the same literally the same samples that mixers are throwing into in, in, into the, the songs right yeah back then it was like spending a day getting a certain snare tone or you know the tuning the toms to the track and and everything was by design and yeah that white pony album was phenomenal so I'd say the- so make yourself was 1999 so we're both right there you it's go. like in there you go, right in the middle you're, you you're go, saying yeah. 98 i'm saying 2000 oh and science was 96 correct uh i'd have to check real quick gotta be yeah this um it's very important that we get our details right here Mm. so discography 97 for science 97 okay so but (laughs) with with the singles you know so science you're thinking 96 well they probably released the first single early in 96 and the album comes out in 97 and then with make yourself even though it comes out in 99 they had you know pardon me as a single then stellar and yep. by the time they release Drive, they're in early 2001, which is what I'm saying for the album. There you so go. Yeah, we're yeah. Both so, right. I mean, that, Can we agree that, to disagree? There we go. Yes. Yeah. That was, um, yeah, I remember I got my brother uh, turned me on to Incubus. When, when I saw Part of Me, that video I was in high school and I was like, oh man, this is the coolest band. Like they, they took like, you know, obviously like the, um, the new metal but mix it with like, he sounds like Mike Patton from Faith No More and like Chili Peppers and they put it all in one. Uh, that's what made me go back and listen to Science. And then you hear those tracks like Certain Shade of Green or, or Glass and New Skin. And it's like, oh my God, this band's phenomenal. That was my favorite band growing up. I'd say, I'd say Incubus was my favorite band growing up. So and yeah. that turned me on to the whole new metal scene, right? With um, with all with all those bands like Deftones and uh Soundgarden was, yeah, I guess we would always jam that Pearl Jam, obviously. Like if you played in a, if you wanted to jam rock songs when you were in your teens, you're definitely playing, you know, Pearl Jam and you're playing Soundgarden. Yeah. In- Incubus, the musicians in that band are so talented. And that's, I think what, what, yeah, that's what I gravitated towards. Right. Cause I came again, I think because of the funk background that I grew up on and then watching them playing a bunch of funk in rock music, phenomenal musicians. And, and you mentioned Pardon Me. Uh, nothing sounded like Pardon Me when that came out, I think, which was part of Still the does it. Yeah. It's those verses that he's kind of, you know, doing his rap thing with funk bass. And then the chorus are just opened up as like heavy as hell. Phenomenal band. I was a so, fan of them for a while, I guess, for, for a bunch of albums. So I have to give credit to two of my best friends. So Selj and Eric, because 
my whole life since we were, I don't know, 14, their favorite bands have been Incubus and Finger Eleven. So they got they were the ones that got me into it. And I go. remember they were spinning science when it first came out and make yourself um, because of them. Like I've seen Incubus twice. I've seen Finger Eleven, I don't know, five or six times. So I have to give them them credit. And they love that. I I'm, I've almost interviewed the whole Finger Eleven band at this point. So they love seeing their friend, you know, doing doing the deep dives. How yeah. how early on did you know that you had something special to offer as a musician and that this is actually something you could do as a career? Um, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say because everybody has their support group whether you're talented or not you got your family and friends saying you're awesome you're amazing it's like and you believe it right um so i think the 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 time where i actually knew because I, like you don't know when you're when you're 16 i mean maybe some of them you know, not everybody's daniel johns from silverchair that writes smash hit at 16 years old right um but you start playing you start getting a bunch of comments from from other bands and say like oh my god like you're you're awesome like you're amazing at this it's like okay cool thanks and you kind of keep going and and then you start touring and um working with other people and you're not comparing yourself really like you know it's you're not saying like oh i'm a better drummer than this guy or a better singer than this guy it's nothing to do with that you just you're just kind of going with the motions you just follow what you're passionate about and i was i was passionate and i remain passionate and it was all it was when i met arnold lanny at 24 he told me he said uh he said hey uh you know out of the 30 years of working with people uh you're one of the most talented dudes i've ever met and um i see a lot of myself in you and i'd love to you know i'd love to have you down here for the next five or so years and, and teach you everything i know and, and mentor you so when he told me that i was like oh this is one of my idols telling me that maybe i can do this that's what I guess solidified that I can, I can do this. Cause that, you know, before then it was always just playing in band that, you know, having, having fun on the road and you don't know if you can actually do it or not and sustain a career. Right. How, how did you end up with that Arnold Lanny connection? How do you get to the point where it's telling you you're one of the most talented people I've met? Um, well, his brother, Rob, that coalition music manages, the bands that Arnold had developed in and and produced Finger Eleven, Our Lady Peace, Simple Plan. Those are Coalition's bands, right? We had sent in demos to Rob Lanny first, right? At Coalition. My brother pretty much did all the heavy lifting there. He would, you know, send it to Rob and Rob would call us back and say, yeah, you know, the songs, songs aren't there. Send me some more stuff. Send him some more stuff. I think it was like the, maybe the, the third round. And Rob's like, holy shit, this, this is actually this is some really good stuff. Um, you know, what do you want to do with this? And we're like, we would love to meet your brother because he's made our favorite albums. That's how we, so he passed it on to Arnold and Arnold had said, you know what, why don't you guys come down here for a week? So we went down to um, California uh, through the, you know, setup of Rob and through my brother getting, getting to Rob. And we spent a week down there and that's when he had, um, I guess, sort of, you know, took me aside and, and said that to me. And now I'm thinking too, it's like, he probably says this to everybody, like who knows. Right. But then the fact that he, you know, he paid my way down there, gave me a car down there, gave me a house down there, uh, paid me like for projects. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm the only one down here. So I guess you see something. And that's, that's sort of what I knew that 
maybe there's something that I can um, build off of. And, and when you think back to working with Arnold Lanny, what are the, the thoughts, the memories, the emotions that come to you right now? That's an important part of your life. Yeah, he's um, a very unique guy. The guy's, he's a musical genius, man. Like him in front of a piano writing melodies is like, that's something I'll never forget or take for granted for that matter. Um, but he never took himself too seriously. Like, it's always just like, I remember once he told me, um, I was so, you know, I was so like shocked that when we were writing this part and he just goes to the piano and just writes this chorus, like as if he already had it before. And I was like, holy shit, Arn, how did you know, how did you know to do that? Like, we just write this one part and then you go there and write this, you know, this incredible chorus. How did you even know that should happen? Like, and he said, when you have the sensation like to, I remember this. He's like, when you have the sensation to take a piss, where do you go? I was like, the bathroom. He's like, where else would you go? I was like, nowhere. I go to the bathroom. He's like, that's me with songs. I just know where to go. When he said that, and he wasn't, he's not a cocky guy. He's just, that's what he knows, right? So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, okay. And he said, don't worry, you know, you'll you'll get there one day. It happens. Just keep doing it. So that's that's one memory I took I took from there. There's a million of them. Uh, He's the analogy king. Everything, every situation you find yourself in, there's an Arnold analogy attached to it somewhere. Um, extremely slow eater. Very slow eater. Apparently like, you live longer if you're a slow eater. So. Oh man, he's um, the first week, the, the, the first day we were there, he had, um, he's like, all right, let's go out and grab a bite. And he's like, you could take your own car. Think about it. We just drive together to the restaurant. He's like, no, nah, you might want to take your own car. And I was like, you know, why? He's like, I take a little long to eat. I'm like, ah, okay, it's fine. Like, we'll we'll go together. How long could it be? And I remember we have, uh, I forgot what we were eating, but he's there with his fork. I'm already halfway done. I'm Italian, so I'm just crushing my meal. And, you know, grabs a piece of chicken or something like that, and he has it up, and he's almost about to eat it. And then he puts it down and starts checking football stats, like what the draft order is that year. I'm like, oh, wow, he takes a very long time to eat. But it's good because it makes for good conversation, right? And um, a lot of wisdom um he just he loves he loves helping people and not just myself anybody that i've seen him you know come across he's sends texts that are novels to people helping them through things in life not even just musically just anything in life right he's he will always take the time to help somebody out when they're going through something uh i was actually there during two breakups while i was down there i was because i was traveling back and forth and one of the most uh, important things he told me that that stuck was he was saying, he's like, man, he goes, you know, I know it's it seems right to keep going back to the same girl. And it's like, you know, there's that attachment. There's that, you know, first love thing still attached to it. He's like, but, you know, how did he put it? He said, don't date the same date 100, date 100 girls once. Don't date the same girl 100 times. He's like, then you'll find you know, then you'll find the one. I was like, holy shit. So, um, yeah. So he helped me through a lot of stuff there. Like he would, he would see me sometimes in the gym or something like that. Let's go grab a beer, go grab a bite. So he, he really helped me out, not just musically, but, um, with, uh, just, just life in general. So I have the quote to end all quotes. So I, I, I reached out and I was able to get a hold of Arnold Lanny 
And you mentioned you mentioned that he, you know, if someone needs help or support or words of encouragement, he'll write a novel. So not only did I get a quote from Arnold Lanny, uh, after, you know, two and a half years of doing this podcast, uh, getting hundreds of quotes, this this is the longest quote that I've received. So he he wow. must like you if he if he wrote a novel. <laughs> so bear with me here. Yeah, go I'm ahead. Gonna, gonna go through all of it. So for our listeners, Arnold Lanny is one of the greatest Canadian producers of all time. He did the first four Our Lady Peace albums, including the Diamond Certified album Clumsy. There's almost no album in Canada's gone gone diamond, let alone a Canadian band. So that's ridiculous we mentioned uh i think he did the first two finger 11 albums or not yeah first two after the name change uh simple plan thousand foot crutch this guy's a legend uh and this is what arnold lanny has to say about steve mo he says i'm always happy to talk about my friend steve he's a great drummer musician and producer he's also very creative and as a result he's one of the few drummers who understands how to play drums for the song He's got a great sense of groove, and because he's so smart and intuitive, he takes musical direction incredibly well. Steve never has to be told anything twice. Is this true? Uh, Then he says, during a session, he'll absorb all the musical direction and ideas being tried and articulated, and then absorb the best of it and then deliver a performance that is perfect. It's hard to be perfect. Uh, (laughs) He's always upbeat and positive, and he always sees the glass of life as half full. His never quit attitude is infectious and his creativity is boundless. He's a joy to work with. He has a sweet and caring disposition that's honest and sincere, and it endears him to everyone. Along with all his wonderful creative and musical abilities, he's also developed a tremendous work ethic. He just never stops working. His character and integrity is beyond reproach, and he's fiercely loyal. And as great as he is as a musician and producer, he's even a better man. I'm super proud of him, and I'm lucky to have him as my friend. Sadly, though, as perfect and blessed as Steve is, you know where this is going. God (laughs) played a cruel joke on him when he was born. Unfortunately, Steve's been cursed with being a diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Every year, I have to hear the same old tired refrain. This is the one, Arn. Every year, every year, this year is the year for the Leafs. Uh, They're going all the way. They're going to win the cup. He's a little bit delusional when it comes to hockey. <laughs> At what, one point, just to check his grasp of, of reality, I once asked him if he thought Santa Claus was real. <laughs> Steve, Steve, being so obsessed with the Maple Leafs, replied, I don't see his name on the program, so I'm guessing he's still down in the minors. Oh, so man. his love of hockey aside, Steve is, is a great creative drummer, musician, and producer who can do it all. But best of all, he's a great guy. Much love from Arn. So that's Arnold yeah. Lanny, super producer. That is, um, that is classic Arn for sure. Um, the Leafs thing is funny because I poke fun at Jordan, obviously with the Habs. Now I get that from Arnold. Very fitting. Um, yeah, it is true. I, uh, every single year, because you'll always kind of ask me, uh, you know, what's going on with your, with your Leafs this year? It's like, oh, Arn, you know, there's the one like Matthew's coming off a big season, 60 plus goals and, you know, Marner and these guys. And then, I mean, this year we are doing well. Maybe it is the one. Yeah, maybe nothing changes. Yeah, maybe the this year is the one. This is the one. There's, yeah. there's, uh, there's always hope. So, you know, normally when I get quotes um, for for my guests, for the interviews, normally I've had some 
some communication with those people in the past. And uh, with Arnold, I've never spoken to him, never been in communication with him. He's not on Facebook. He's, you know, he's, he's one, he's <laughs> one of the all-time greats. So yeah. I, I, uh, I tried a bunch of different things. I ended up finding an email like email, like people still use email, right? I end up finding an email. I throw off an email and just assume like, obviously this isn't going to come back in time or if ever. And right away, I got that lengthy response. So, so I, I, I totally, that was a Hail Mary pass. And, uh, and he, he came back with it. So, so that's a, that's, that's an awesome one. Um, he's, yeah, he's an incredible guy. That's amazing. Where, where did your, so we've, we've talked about you as a musician, drummer, learning guitar and bass, vocals, harmonies, all that stuff. Where did your interest in, in producing come from? Because we, we have the gap where eventually you're, you know, with Arnold Lanny working there for a few right, years. Right. Where does the actual love of the, the production come in? Well, every time I was listening to, to songs on the, you know, on the radio or anything like that, you start picking apart things that make the song. Cause I love just, songs so much that you start picking things apart it's like okay well if you know bass player's playing this while well, drummer's playing this groove and that's why i think that's why i'm feeling this and you know everything's like a an equation uh and then it was more of a necessity because we'd have these song ideas and we'd go to these producers before that weren't really you know the art of production is bringing a song to life you can kill a song completely with bad production you can have a great song and you can completely cover that song by bad production right um so what i thought we had some some good songs we're working with some producers and like something's up here because i think the song is good but something's happening in this you know during this process so i started just learning like you know getting pro tools pro tools light you know a long time ago and and learning how to how to record things and, you know, um, grabbing these new plugins and uh, putting vocals on top of uh, other uh, uh, tracks and then harmonies. You start building it because of that's, I just wanted to see the songs that I had started writing with, with, with my band come to life properly. And that's when I, when I started doing it, it's, it's more of, it's like that whole thing of just, just do it, just go two feet in and see if you like it. And that's why I, that, that's why I did it. And I could never stop there. And you start admiring some of your, favorite producers right you start listening to your favorite albums and you're like oh my god like how did this guy do this with like that that effect or record those drums that way and and that's when i look you know you start looking at credits and uh arnold lanny had had it was you know i i look at our lady peace like that navid record like holy shit the production's incredible on this it's like arnold lanny and it's like oh wow like the this tip album who produced this Arnold Lanning like I gotta like I gotta I gotta meet this guy one day right and that's that's how that that came about so I've never stopped there and then watching him now in the room for a bunch of years do his thing and how he goes from A to Z in a song and brings that song to life what happens in the middle I gravitated towards and that that for me was like that was the that that was the best feeling that process of bringing a song to life and who are some of the other producers that that uh, you really admired outside of Arnold? Um, Butch Vig. Never Butch mind. Vig for sure. Yeah. Um, and then on the on the well, not just pop, uh, pop India, Jack Antonoff, who's just 
on another level, especially these days. He's just he's, the Taylor Swift stuff now, right? He Taylor does a Swift lot of stuff, that. Like he, he, uh, Florence the Machine, uh, Mark Mark Ronson, right? Um, the and because I like different genres growing up, you know, you have your rock guys, right? Like Arnold and Butch Vig, and then you have your 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 pop guys, right? Um, and those guys, I still look up to all those guys, and you try and. You not not try and steal, but you try and just draw inspiration from it, right? It's like, oh, like that producer always uses these kind of sounds, and I see how they, uh, uh, what kind of sounds they they use, like you know, getting to uh, in and out of like segues, like transitions, like everybody will do their own thing, right? Um, and Arnold had his style, and Butch Fig had his style, and you hope that while you're absorbing all of this, you have your own, right? With with your your history with funk and with liking Mark Ronson, you must have loved Uptown Funk. That was such oh, an man. undeniable hit with Bruno yeah. When Mars. that came out, that's I, still one of the best pop songs in the last in the last 10, 15 years for sure. Dude, that that song is so ridiculous. Um, m- musicians are are often told, "Look, you you got to get a good education. You got to yeah. get a you got to go to school. You got to get a good job." Uh, uh, having a career in the music industry, that's a pipe dream. Nobody makes it. Did you, did you ever come across that kind of resistance from your friends and family? And if so, how did you overcome that to, to push through with the dream? I have to say, man, um, I didn't have, I didn't have much of that. I had the opposite, like bless both of my parents. There were times where I said, I got to I don't know. I got to get out. Like we all, anybody in the music business that says they never had that moment of like, I got to, I got to get out of this. I got to do something else. They're lying. Um, I've had those moments of like, I think I got to get out. My parents are like, no, like, no, you gotta, you gotta stay in. Like you're doing this. You're on the path of doing it. You're passionate about it. You're talented. Um, so you gotta, you, you gotta keep going there. So it was, it was pretty much the opposite for me. Um, but it was basically, it's like, at a young age when I was, you know, touring and in studios all the time, if you're going to do it, you got to be the best at it or else it's two feet in. Don't just do it or else at that point, it'll be like, you know, we're done supporting you at that point. Um, But if you're going to do it, at least try to be the best at it. Work twice as much, twice as hard as the next person. And that's the only way you're going to get ahead. So I guess, you know, that's what Arnold's saying about the whole work ethic thing. It was, that was ingrained early. Like if you're going to do it, you have to outwork the next person. And there, there, there's a bunch of people that are just more, you know, naturally gifted. Right. But one thing that I can control is how many hours more I'm working than they are. And that's, that's my, that's my motto. It, it definitely helps that your dad is a musician, right? Cause he yeah, knows the life, helps. he knows the dream. And, and he, I guess, yeah, his barometer was like different than the average parent of being like, Oh my kids incredible everybody thinks their kids incredible right where, where my dad would have criticism for a lot of things you know like that you got to get stronger at that that you know you're good at that could be better so i had that along the way which which was very helpful was was your mom also musical or just a lover of music and supportive not a not a musical bone in her body but the best woman ever so she's uh super uh always been super supportive you could have done anything and, and she would have supported yeah. you yeah i think so those are, those are the best moms to have. Yeah. Uh, I I have some kind words sent in here from someone that that 
touches on you as a producer, not just a drummer. So this is from Bruce Nickel, who is an amazing bass player. I was a fan of his back when he was in Idol Sons. He's now one of the most sought after um, stage techs, uh, guitar techs, the hardest tour managers. Man- He's yeah. the hardest working man in the industry. Every time I share <laughs> a quote from guy. him with someone, people say he, this guy is hustling. And oh, even... Man. When when everything was shut down for two years during the pandemic, Bruce found a way to work. Somehow he was still working. He's the we only all, guy that's still working. Finger Eleven guys, we laughed. We laughed big time. We're like, we're all like, you know, at home, like no shows, whatever. And I remember somebody saying, like, how is Bruce Nichols still touring when the entire world shut down? Yeah, he's doing like those those parking lot like drive-in oh, shows. He's yeah. just. Yeah. Uh, fixing instruments along so McQuaid. He's Maybe. he's hustling. So this is what Bruce Nickel has to say. He says. Steve is a consummate professional, an amazingly enthusiastic and brilliant musician. He's a wonderful guy to work with. His ability as a drummer is only surpassed by his knowledge as a producer. Steve is also surprisingly adept at literally anything you can think of. Darts at last call, internet trivia, (laughs) possibly astrophysics, uh, everything else you can shake a stick at. So that's from Bruce Nickel. Awesome. What a guy. What a beauty. He's um. A, a, a tour story from from bruce i remember my first my first uh tour that you know uh he was a tour managing on i would always ask uh hey bruce where's the like we we're on the we we're on the tour bus and 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 i'd be like hey bruce where's the um where's the hotel from here and he and first he'd be like okay well you know here's here's the address whatever and then i'm like hey bruce what time is sound check and i remember one day he was like super busy he's like steve mo it's on the fridge he goes every day and he walked me to the fridge. He's like, I don't know if you've noticed, but we two weeks in, he goes, I wake up every day and I put, I, I advance the entire day. Everything is here. Like to like where the nearest bathroom is. He goes, it's on the fridge. So if you ask me again, it's on the fridge. I was like, all right, got it. <laughs> Noted. That's his answer for everything moving He's forward. One of the best guys. It's on the fridge. Yeah. That's awesome. I need to get him a shirt for Christmas that says yeah. on the fridge. It's on the fridge, yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you have any advice for our young listeners who are new drummers, new producers, new songwriters, any advice for them to get better at their craft and, and have a chance of doing this for a living in the future? Uh, yeah, I do. Number one, you, you have to be, you have to be talented. Like there, you know, uh, you have to work on your craft. Like that's, that's more of like, that's a given, right? That's not, you know, that's not any, any, any bonus marks for that. You have to be talented to sustain a career in this business. That's obvious. I'd say the thing to work on or to acknowledge, you gotta be, a, you just gotta be a good person. You gotta be a good person. The talent's going to open the door. Being a good person is going to keep you in the room. Always, always, always. Um, and I've noticed that with people who I want to keep around me, there's a ton of talented people that I'd love to have in the studio. But when you pick up your phone, the ones you call are the ones that you have a good relationship with, right? Even if it's not, you know, a best friend or something like that, somebody that you've only worked with three times. But if that person uh, made an impact, not just with their playing, but with their personality, that's the one you call always. Cause you gotta be in a room with this person for, you know, 10 hours. You got to be on a bus with this person for for months on end. So a talent's not enough. You have to be talented. That's a given. But I'd say really understand that being a good person is just as important. That's all. That's all great advice. And 
when I looked at, I went on your website doing my research, I saw a list of artists that you worked with and I saw you had worked with a really good friend of mine. So I have a quote here from Michael Orsini from Euphoria. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So the 11 years I was in Mississauga, him and I hung out all the time. He played my open mics I hosted. We played poker together. I went to birthday no parties. Way. I know his whole family. So it was awesome uh, to see his name on that list. And he's always been talented. And the songs have always been great. But there was a point where suddenly the recorded music sounded amazing. And I was like, man, finally, like he, here's him actually displaying his talent uh, fully fleshed out. And that's probably where you came in is uh, I, I think you worked on four more songs, songwriting, producing. Yep. And that's the stuff where I was like, okay, euph euphoria now is actually what they're supposed to be. You know, yep. the, the technical side is, is finally what it needs to be. So this is what uh, Mike says. He says, Steve is a masterful drummer and producer. He'll elevate any song for any artist. So it's short and sweet from Michael Ersey. Awesome. Yeah, that's, and that goes back to what I was saying, like bringing a song to life. There could be somebody who's, who's talented or is a good songwriter, but if that's not, you know, put in the mix with, with the right producer. And it's not just really a, a, a good producer. It's the right one. It's like a dating, it's, it's, it's a relationship, right? The first couple of sessions is like that dating process. It's like, are we good together? Like, is this, is this going to work? And then once you find out it is, you almost got to, the artist puts a lot of trust in the producer. Cause when that artist goes home, that producer, like it's their, their career, their songs, they're in their, you know, in their hands. Right. Um, and that's one thing, any artist that walks in the room, I, I care just as much as, as the next artist. So, um, when Mike came, I was like, okay, he's, he's, he's got something. He just needs, you know, the help on this end to really, you know, bring those songs to life. And we did, it was good. I remember, I think it was one of the first songs we, we had worked on ended up being like the blue Jays, like intro song, like fighter like or flight or something. Fight or flight. Yeah. That got yeah. used. That got used a bunch. And I remember they're, they had a great winning record when that song was played. So that was used throughout the whole season. I think a couple seasons. Maybe the Maple Leafs should have used that song too then, right? It Get did during the, they, they did during the, during the games a lot, which was good, but uh, yeah. That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's dive into finger 11 now. So we yeah. worked our way up all the way from you in diapers, uh, playing drums all the <laughs> way to, yeah. to finger 11. So I'm just going to share my screen here. Let me know if you can see this, yeah. you see this. Oh, that's a different picture. Hold on. Oh, there you go. That's, that's us. Hold on. I got to get a different picture up here. Um, okay. So let's see if we can see this one. Okay. Can you see that? I can. Yep. So that's, uh, so we, we got finger 11 here. Uh, this is at a, a nice sold out show just to give a visual here. Do you remember the first time that you heard Finger Eleven's music or heard of the band. You you mentioned Tip a few times. Yeah. Uh, it's probably around that time. Uh, it was uh, same deal. Much music above the that video, that song. That's why that'll always be my probably one of my uh, like top three Finger Eleven songs. Just because of that moment of like, oh, this band is phenomenal. This song is so cool and um, and that's yeah that's when i got I, I, I guess i forgot how old i was but that was my uh that was my first introduction to finger 11 and it's just been you know 
it was a it was a super fan up to the point I joined. Yeah, I remember above. I remember I made a mixtape back when you could make mixtapes, and yeah, I had yeah. Quicksand on it uh, from from that album, which is uh, a great tune. Or uh, yeah. uh, Awake Awaken Dreaming as well. Awaken Dreaming. Yeah, that was one of the slower. Yeah, that the whole album is incredible. But yeah, Quicksand is my uh, favorite top for me, just because the drums, the drumming on that. And, and how did that opportunity present itself for you to join the band? Was it um, there was an audition? Was it that they yeah. just already knew you were the guy and said, hey, we have a spot for you? My my best guess, so I don't know the history. My best guess is we talked about Arnold Lanny having done the first two Finger Eleven albums. You worked for several years with Arnold Lanny. Is that any part of the connection? It was, through, it was definitely through the Lanny connection. It was through his brother, Rob, who was managing at the time. Hmm. And we had, um, this is when I was still, again, just at the tail end of playing with the balconies. Um, we, Coalition had like a, a hockey league that we'd play every Wednesday night or Thursday night. And we're in the parking lot um, after the game. And Rob was like, hey, do you want to, do you want to, um, I think it was like, how did he word it? do you want to play play with finger 11 and i thought at first he meant open for like because i was with the balconies do you want to play with finger 11 like oh man i'd love to open for finger 11 like well obviously one of my favorite bands is like no no no. do you want to play with them i was like oh what's what's going on like you know with, with rich whatever and he's like yeah there's you know obviously stuff going on and rich is not in the band anymore so they're they're having they've been having auditions for for drums i'm like oh you gotta you gotta you know set me up with that so he said, okay, he's like, maybe uh, next week. And I think it was like a Wednesday. I was like, Rob, I can do like tomorrow. I can do Friday. Like I know these songs anyway. It doesn't really matter. So I think we did in a couple of days. He gave me a list. It was eight songs. And they obviously front loaded it with the most technical songs first. It was uh, Quicksand and Good Times right away. And that's how it happened. So we auditioned at Coalition in the studio live room. So I, that was my first time meeting the guys. So I met the guys. While auditioning. Yep. Shook their hands. Went behind the kit, saw the set list, and um, I didn't even, I remember not even rehearsing them because I, I rehearsed those songs for, for 10 years because I'd play those songs in bands, like with buddies. We'd, we'd jam those songs all the time. Quicksand, Good Time, um, uh, Above, uh, First Time, like all these songs I've already been playing for years. Mm -hmm. So I just, that was like no different than playing with my buddies, but playing with them. And uh, I was obviously super excited. I remember not even being, not even being nervous. Um, my dad had called me and he's like, he's like, um, just before, before, and he's like, Hey man, he's like, uh, this is going to be awesome. He's like, you know, you're nervous. I'm like, no, I'm going to get it. Like I'm hundred percent going to walk out of there being their drummer. And again, not in a cocky way, just in a very confident way. Like this is meant to happen. Uh, just through the whole, again, the Lanny connection and me, being a fan growing up and me knowing the songs. And I remember after, I think it was after good times, after the second song, like Scott, like shook my hand. He's like, all right, man, this, I gotta, I'm going to beat traffic like back to Burlington. Like this is, this is the best we've heard the songs. Uh, so I'm good. And then I think I, I remember telling him, I was like, Hey, is it cool if we jam the other songs? Because I'm like a big fan. Like, this is awesome. So then we just played the rest of the set. Um, Cause Rob had to know, because they had a show in, I guess, uh, North Bay that had to get booked, had to get confirmed. So I think from there, they went upstairs to Rob's office and said, yeah, we're good. 
and then nine years later. And and how much time was there until the North Bay show from that audition? Oh man, I can't remember. It could have been could have been a month. Okay. A few weeks, maybe a month. Yeah. Eight so, eight songs. That's a that's a lot to audition with, but I, I, I mean, think so, you yeah. You already knew them. I knew them already, yeah. There's not really any I had to I had to learn. So I, I was saying we'll have to get Bruce Nickel a shirt for Christmas that says on the fridge. On the for fridge, you, yeah. we'll have to get one that says hashtag blessed because who else gets to work with their favorite producer of all time and then gets to become a member of their favorite band? I mean, yeah, Steve, yeah. living the dream, man. What? Yeah. That, it, how yeah. can one man be so blessed? I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, I'm very, very, very uh, lucky in that sense, man. And um yeah, to meet, I guess, to meet and be mentored by the guy that was part of those first couple albums, my favorite albums, and then to um, have a great relationship with the with the guy who's, you know, managed them for 20 years, and then be in the band. So it started off as like me being in the band and, you know, being like, I'm in, I'm in Finger Eleven, I'm in one of my favorite bands. You kind of forget it because they're like, some of the best dudes I've ever met, not just in the industry, just in general, like they're, they've treated me like family, like a good friend since, since day one, like since day, honestly, since that first show, it's been like, I'm in the group chat with the band and that's it. And that was like the band moving forward. And they've always treated me like a member from like show one. So I got to get up to those guys, like, like huge hand for those guys. Um, so that's, yeah, I guess, you know, living the dream. I, it's, it's funny. I, I worked at Metalworks for seven years, the recording studio yeah. in uh, yeah. Mississauga. And <clears throat> there was, there was some, there's a lot of employees, but there was someone there that just never looked happy. And every day when I'd be like, Oh, Hey man, how's it going? He'd be like, living the dream, like super monotone. Yeah, so yeah. that's oh, my, that's, yeah, my, my favorite, my favorite response ever. Uh, when I ask how someone's doing is when they say living the dream, when clearly in their mind, they're not living the dream. So yeah. anyways, it's cool to see you say living the dream when it's, you're actually living the dream. Yeah. Uh, we, we have our first fan question sent in here. So this is from uh, finger 11 fan, Ben Woods. And his question is, what is the biggest challenge of joining an already established band? Um, that's a great question. I guess it's, there's a, there's a pressure of, of keeping the professionalism that they've already established. There is a pressure to that. You're not all starting on the same page. You're not all, you know, it's not like a, we're all in the minors and we all got to the pro level together. They're already there. So it's just, there's a pressure of, um, you know, excelling quickly to the level that they're already at and trying to keep that for them and, you know, trying to, um, they've had these songs for a number of years. They've had them played live for a number of years and by, you know, say Rich, who's a phenomenal drummer. And now you got to fill those shoes and you got to do it quickly because you're playing in front of 5,000, 10,000 people like right away. And so there was a pressure of just uh, delivering their songs the way they've heard them for the longest time and make it as seamless as possible for them and to fit in where they never had to worry and look back once. That was my, that, that to me was the most important thing for me was like, I need to, I need to make them feel like they're incredibly comfortable that they could just be in their element and do their thing live without ever worrying that something's going to go wrong behind them. And it had to be done right away. But that's a, that's a great question. 
So Rich has a unique drum style. Um, what was it like learning all those finger 11 drum parts? And Rich actually wanted to know when he sent the quote, he's like, I'd be curious yeah. to know just what it was like to learn those parts. Cause it's one thing to be the one that made them and you're playing them. It's one sure. thing like it's in of your, course. Oh, your man. style. I, you have, you have, you have all the respect for the people because playing them is one, like, you know, lifting them from, from an album is, is one thing, but creating is a whole different thing that you have a, 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 a deep appreciation for learning learning uh well tip which was and i i knew this after when working with arnold that's a lot of arnold writing drum patterns nobody has to tell that's that. before rich right rich that's, didn't that's play a guy named tip. that's a guy named uh rob um who was who was drumming on that album and for as far as i know he's he's a he was a solid drummer as well and that's a lot of arnold crafting those parts with the guys right based on the riffs that they're writing and so lifting those ones was like that was a quicksand and above and just like these incredible drum parts and then um i think where where rich entered um where he was creating the parts was on the self-title right with like um with good times, good times and absent elements and stain shadow those are phenomenal drum parts. Like good times is like, you can solo that drum. It's what I talked about before with like Travis Barker and, and uh, Dave Grohl. It's like, you can solo the drum track and it's like, that's a hook by itself. Like that's a song by itself. That was good times for me. That in, from start to finish, that entire drum track is like, it's iconic, man. It's so good. So learning that one was a lot of fun, you know, um, and because he has a unique drum style, you have to adopt that in your in your uh, playing, right? So yeah, I mean, uh, very, um, very, very fun to go through and, and dissect the parts. And again, you don't want to, you don't want to just do. Well, it's like, well, okay, well, that was his take, and this is my take on the track. It's like, no, you're trying to be as close to that as possible because that's what the bands used to, uh, that's what the fans are used to. And that's what Rich intended, right? So if he intended that and it's successful, why would I want to change it to make it, you know, me? And that's a, a lot of a lot of artists do that, and that's fine. But when somebody's already done the work uh, to create this drum part or guitar part or bass part, whatever it is, you want to try and match it as close as possible. And I, I think I'm doing a good job at it. So yeah, and and in a little bit we'll talk, we'll talk maybe a, a sneak peek at at you know, there's new music that you're working yep. on. That stuff is where you'll be able to put in your, your own yep, style exactly. and your, yep. own, you know, that's where you'll, yep. you'll be able to get super creative. Um, so behind me here, you can see, I have the grayest of blue skies. Uh, so these are my 12 favorite albums from guests that I've interviewed on the podcast. So in honor of, of Rick, Rich and you, I got the grayest of blue skies here. Maybe when the new album comes out, we'll, we'll put that up there as well. Um, yep. Did did you hear that on this album, The Grace of Blue Skies, it was actually all an electronic drum kit? Oh, yeah. It was like yeah, a yeah. V, v drums or whatever. Yep. It's yep. crazy. The drums yep. sound amazing. And then you hear and later it was this early electronic kit. And the story behind that was, um, I mean, hearing this from, from Arnold was, I think that like it was programmed. And then I believe like they wanted to try and replace those after it was programmed first for them to like you know play along to and then i believe it was like they're trying to replace it but 
they were trying to go for this industrial sound like Nine Inch Nails and, and, and these types of bands, which sounded exactly like that, right? With the really like cold sounding guitars and, and drums and like they they nailed it in my opinion. And, you know, here's songs like Drag You Down, it's so like rigid and like, so I think they ended up staying with those and the drum sounds are phenomenal. And that's like, nowadays you have this software that you can make a, you know, V drums or Superior Drummer on any of these any of these uh, programs to sound as real as possible. But to have that, you know, back then make them sound that good, they sounded fun. I, I, I didn't know when it came out that it was electronic. I, I didn't know that. And that came out when I was 15. And I didn't know until the interview a few months ago with yeah. Mitch that that was an electronic yeah. kid. Yeah. He, it was like a... It, it was like a confession from him. He was almost like embarrassed that, yeah, yeah. you know, and then later on he, he felt like he had more say in, in everything. Yeah. Um, I think also the early three days grace stuff, they had the, uh, the V V drums as well. So that was all like ahead of its time. Um, did, did you have any fear joining a band that was already successful or was it mostly just excitement? You knew you were the right guy, guy, you knew the parts, or is there a fear of like, man, this is one of my favorite bands. These guys are already multi-platinum and Juno award winning. You know, everyone had kind of has that imposter syndrome in there somewhere of like, you know, am I the right guy? Should I be yeah. here? Do I deserve this? You know what? I, one would think that you'd be that, you know, there's, there's a fear attached to it or, or being nervous, but I didn't, I honestly didn't. I met the guys, solid guys, did the audition felt right first show was was flawless like i played the parts exactly how i should um and i felt like i i that was what i was supposed to do like i'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and i was supposed to meet them i was supposed to be in the band um and i never once had a had a had a had a fear that that came along with it that you know like what if or maybe i'm not the right guy i knew i was the right guy and i think part of that is because they've told me that many times like dude you're you're meant to be in this band like we were we were supposed to find you you were supposed to find us they they reassured that pretty early on like there was never like the band and then myself right it was always like no you're in the band like you're working hard to you know make the show as successful as you know as we all want and they've always made me feel like a member so I've never once felt like you know is this you know do I deserve this or like that? It's like, shit, if I was, if I was 18 years old and I joined the band, that was an established band. It'd be like, man, do I deserve this? I haven't paid my dues. But by that point, I'd already been touring for like 14 years, um, sleeping on hotel room floors in Europe and America and piling in a van with seven other people and sleeping on people's shoulders and shit like that. So it's like never once. That's why when, you know, when, when I, when I get the, Oh man, you're, you're lucky. Yeah. You, you create that too, right? You, you create that. So when, when you hear you're lucky, it's like, no, it's not, it's not, it's not luck. Uh, yeah. There's luck. That's a part of it because there's a lot of people that work their ass off and they're talented and maybe they don't get those opportunities, but you create that along the way. Like if you're, if you're paying your dues for 15 years, can't really call it luck, right? Yeah, the old 15 year overnight success. That's it. And you, so you can't like you, you create that. What do you remember from that very first show that you played with Finger Eleven? Uh, North, yeah, it was North, North Bay. Um, I what I do remember is the intros of songs. 
just get that just get that right and then the rest is you know you know the you know the parts from there it's just because we weren't playing on click at that point because i guess they weren't doing that at the time or maybe they were i'm not really sure but those shows we weren't playing to a click so tempo was a big deal you're you're it's free form at that point you establish the tempo so it's not just about playing the part and make sure the arrangement's right it's the tempo of the track. That's everything. But because the production background, I listen to the singer always, the breathing pattern, the syncopation, all those things. So I'm listening to Scott the entire time. And I, that's what I still do now. If I find himself, he's stumbling, it's too fast, right? And so it was just picking the right tempos that they can lock into. That was that was one that was I was definitely thinking about because live too, there's a whole bunch of adrenaline that comes along with it. And what you think is like, you know, slow, it's like, it's probably too fast. So it's just keeping that. And just that, just that excitement. It's like, Holy shit, I'm playing in front of finger 11 in front of like 5,000 people, like relax on the temples, like kind of, you know, breathe and, and, and everything's going to be fine sort of thing. You, you have it within your power to play the song so fast that you turn finger 11 into an all out dance band. You just 100%. know that you have that yeah. power at any point you could. And that, would, and, that, and that would be my last show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works every time, but the last. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What makes Scott Anderson such a great singer and such a great front man? It's a powerful dude up there. Yeah. His tone is unmatched to me. He's got one of, to me, he's got one of the best voices in rock. Not just again, not just because we're good friends and, and he's the, the singer in the band that I play in. He's had a voice that no matter what volume he's at in a mix, he's somehow the loudest thing in the mix. You know what I mean? Like if you muted that guy's vocals, he'd still come through. Like it's, he's so powerful um, and lyrically phenomenal. Um, and what solidified that was watching uh, fans approach him after a show being like, hey, uh, I just got to let you know, like you helped me through the darkest, you know, times of my life. And uh, um, um, you, you know, I had a death in the family and you really got me through it with with one thing and and all these things. So it's like when you see that, too, it's like, holy shit, like it's exactly what I thought, you know, it, it, it was at the time. Um, and that just, you know, cemented that. But he's yeah, his, his voice is phenomenal. Is Sean Anderson the most underrated bass player of all 100%. time? Because when I, so this is my third deep dive interview with a Finger 11 member. So I've listened to the entire discography with yeah. great studio headphones. I, I don't know how, five times I've gone through the whole discography. And one thing that is apparent when you listen to all the Finger 11 music is th the bass playing is unbelievable. There are so many hooks with the bass. Like if you muted the bass yep. and listened to the entire discography, Finger Eleven would not be Finger Eleven. It is so memorable, so catchy, so many hooks. I mean, you think uh, just so unique. You think of like "Drag Me Down," "Drag You Down," which is such a heavy song, and then there's like kind of this like jazzy, like yeah. It's like a reggae thing. Like he's playing all in the, it's like this thing. walking bass yeah. in the verse that is yeah. so like counter to the rest yeah. of the song. Yeah. So like, anyways, uh, anything you can say about Sean Anderson? Yeah. So, well, to that point, like listen to obviously Paralyzer, like solo that bass track. Nuts. Uh, falling on. 
living a dream. Like he's so creative. He is, he is for sure to your point, the most, one of the most underrated bass players. And I'll give a, a little insight to that. I'm editing right now uh, the finger 11 live of compiling all the songs and, and um, uh, you know, picking which mics are going where with audience mics and all, all, all that stuff. And I'm soloing his bass track and I'm playing it along to the, to the, to the click. And I even sent him, uh, I sent him a video of like, it was like one minute of, uh, could have been first time or something like that. And it was so locked on, on the grid. I don't like, there's nothing you have to nudge or like that. It's perfect. And I sent him that. He's like, and he thinks the opposite, right? Like he thinks like, oh man, I, he works, nobody works harder than Sean. Right. So when we're, we're rehearsing, I know he's going back and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's playing the song still, he's still rehearsing the songs at home. And like, he just wants every show to be his best show. And it comes through because he is so he's the most rock solid guy in the band, in my opinion, by far. Um, not only that, he, I think he cares the most, right. But he, it comes through in, 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 in his playing. And I'm, I'm listening to like these solo tracks in the live album. It's like, man, this guy is, I've always known he was solid, but when you get to hear it now, right. Cause you, you hear it with, you know, loud in-ear monitors with guitars and drums and vocals. But when you hear it solo, it's like, holy shit, this guy is phenomenal. He's very, very, very good. Uh, and like before shows like 10 minutes before set time, he's like, Hey, so in tip, we extend it. Um, how long he goes, I just want to make sure like we send it like four bars and then we do that little tag thing. And then, uh, you play that film like, yeah, Sean, like, we got it right. Like, like you'll, you'll nail it. He's like, I know, I just want to make sure. Cause I know we changed it like last show. I just want to make sure that we're doing that still. Like he's always so on the ball, not just on, on stage. Like if it's the guys can attest to this. If Sean Anderson is not in this band, I don't know if this band still exists. Seriously. That guy takes care of everything, everything. Uh, like not just, you know, on stage with, with how he, how he plays you know, his parts, but off stage, uh, like anytime we're traveling between shows, guess who's driving Sean, guess who's gassing up Sean, guess who's booking the hotels, Sean, guess who's advancing pretty much everything. It's Sean. So I can't say enough about that guy. He's the consummate professional. Everyone, it, every band needs one guy like him that holds everything together, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm probably one of the sweetest guys you'll meet. And how much fun is it to play live? with two crazy guitarists like Rick Jacket and James Black that are absolute madmen on stage. And they're doing the craziest stuff, throwing guitars in the air, guitar around the neck, taking off the strap and playing it without the strap on and never missing a note. What can you say about the two guitarists? Yeah, they're, uh, that's like maniac one and maniac two, right? They Uh, deserve each other. Big time. They're the like they're as um they're like they belong together, those guys like on stage. Like their dynamic is is incredible, right? Um, you can't say enough about them. Like just just aside from like like they wrote those incredible parts, those guitar parts, right? So that already in itself um is is uh is is incredible, but how they bring those parts to life on on a live stage. I remember watching them for the first time being on this side of the stage. Um, just watching them move. And I remember, I remember Rick once just watching like throw a guitar up in the air and I'm watching it for the, I'm like, holy shit. And he catches it like 
perfectly on the down the chord yeah. right or like i remember him playing so the way he plays above it's like you know in drop tuning whatever so like the first chord is open and um he throws it up in the air with the, like the open chord then catches it on the fret then catches it on the next fret and you're hearing it it's like right in time and like right into you like holy shit like to do that that's a whole that's a whole different thing that's like okay yeah there's a lot of guys that can play guitar but can a lot of guys do that no not even close they wouldn't even dare attempt that and that's what those guys are doing live and i think aside from the songs and having these hit songs that has to be why fans keep coming back it's not just the songs right like if you're a fan okay i've heard i can hear these songs as many times as i want on spotify or on the cds that i bought um but they got to keep coming back because it's like what's what are they going to do next you know how 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 high is rick going to toss his guitar this show right uh and and that i still watch that live and it's still a cool show for me to watch right because nothing's more boring than just watching guys in front of you just you know it's like performance art up there it is man it's incredible it's i feel like it's so hard to do and you gotta you gotta do it every night right and even those times where um i remember rick uh rick once he's like man he goes yeah my feet like today are like are just like killing i got these new shoes or whatever it was and he's like it's not something happened where it's like my ankle like kind of kind of kills and it was like a first show back in a while he's like i don't know i might maybe i might take it easy tonight and i knew right away it's like he's that's such such bullshit he's not gonna take it easy so he goes on stage and like song one he's already like spinning around like throwing the guitar i'm like yeah there's no way he can stay away from that and that's what makes it it's such a good like that's what makes him such a good performer that it's like doesn't matter how i'm feeling they paid money to come see the show that they think they're going to see. So I got to deliver. And that's what those guys do every single night. And uh, James Black might be the most creative person yeah. I've ever met. He just like oozes art, like whether it's oh, yeah. music or. or oh, man. Else. Some of those, like, yeah. So, whether it's some of those uh, guitar parts that, he, that he's playing to even now, like we're, you know, working on, on new stuff. So like every day we get these updates from James designing um uh, uh cover art and um stuff for vinyl and 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 he's a wizard man the guy's incredible he's super creative right he um he's he's one of those creators that like doesn't ever stop creating right there's you don't take a like the the true creatives don't don't take a break from from creating they're just always creating at at, at, at a certain capacity whether it's um writing a song or whether it's drawing or directing a music video like that's james always i i have a, a funny story about how creative james is uh do you remember the app draw something so yeah. there was there was like this worldwide craze where there was this app draw something so you would connect with people that you're friends with on facebook so for example if you and i were friends i would send you a request saying hey do you want to play draw something and you you basically they give you a word and you try to draw it and then the other person has to guess what your drawing is and yeah. most people are pretty bad and it's funny so sure. i it's so funny i somehow had james black on facebook which meant i could send him a draw something <laughs> request so i'm like okay yeah. so i send him a draw something request and he accepts it so i have my word and i draw some like horrible stick man trying to show something and it's like He's like, oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. He sends one back and he literally 
drew me like the Mona Lisa of draw something. Like it, it was like, That's I could have sold that for $10,000. He, he drew like exactly whatever the word was. And it was the greatest art I've ever seen. And he did it That's like man. with his finger on an app. Yeah. So he's nuts. He's so creative. And one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Like he's a super funny guy. He always, he, he always makes this joke. I think it was at like the, I <laughs> like the four or five year mark of me being in the band. And he, I was on the kit ready for sound check. And he looks at me. He's like, Oh, cool. Like you're still, you're still here. Like you're, you're still in the gig. Like just, and he always just makes that, makes that joke. It's like, Oh, cool, man. Or after a show, he'd be like, man, like you, you know, you, you play well, like you for sure. Yeah. At least you got like another year with us kind of thing. Right. Like he's always like making that, making that comment. Super funny guy. That's awesome. For, for our musician listeners that are into gear, into tech, yeah. Do you do you have a a favorite drum kit? Do you have a go to drum kit that you use when you play with Finger Eleven? Uh, I have yeah, I have my kit, uh, uh, Yamaha's. They're uh, for like any drummers that want to know the specs. It's the Yamaha, uh, the Absolutes, the the Maples. They're twenty four. I like big big drums, especially with that band. Um, twenty four kick, thirteen, sixteen, eighteen toms. And uh, I'm with I'm with Sabian and uh, Yamaha as well. They sent me that kit maybe seven years ago, I guess. Amazing, amazing. So uh, earlier you mentioned that so there was the two or three year break with no live shows because of writing, and then the pandemic. Your yep. first show back is at the Burlington Sound and Music Festival, which yep. I've been to a few times, yep. and it was like ten thousand people. Can you? describe yeah. one what it's like to play to 10,000 people and two what it's like after three year break that your first show back like you're okay let's get back into it 10,000 people honestly there's two ways this can go either I'm incredibly nervous and it's going to be a terrible show or we're so damn excited because it's been so long and we can't wait to play in front of 10,000 people Right. So we looked at it, I guess, that way, the half full way. And um, we had one of the better shows. It was an incredible, we played really well. Uh, fans ate it up. Scott killed it. That's hard. Like, it's one thing to, you know, drums or guitar, or whatever, but your vocals, like, you can warm up all you want for two and a half years off, but to play 90 minutes while, you know, yelling at uh between songs and you know rallying up the crowd like that's that's hard to do vocals is is in a completely different animal in studio live and he crushed it um so we had a we had a it was a successful night for us it was definitely obviously you know nerve-wracking to know leading up to it saying like holy shit it's gonna be a, you know we wish we had like a small intimate you know uh pop-up gig or something like that just before but we look at they're all very 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 positive guys and it was like hey guys you know what this is what we wanted for the last two and a half years so let's you know let's go give a good show and it was yeah ten thousand plus people is nuts do you think a part of what made it such a great performance was you guys had like three years of like pent-up energy and yeah. pent-up aggression that's, it, and that's pent honestly up, what that's yeah. honestly what it was and it was like we picked up right where we left off do you do you have a favorite finger 11 song to play live like when you look at the set list there's you yeah know, 15 songs coming up is there ever one song where you just you see it on there and you're like all right here we go this is the one usually 
quicksand and, and good times just because the energy like the drum parts are super cool but just the energy quicksand always gets such an incredible uh, uh response live and obviously uh, paralyzer and that's a, a, a obviously a big crowd pleaser but i gotta be honest when paralyzer came out it's not like i had the same attachment as it did with the early singles when paralyzer came out i was like oh wow that's that is different right like that is that that's coming off remember they're like self-titled and they had yeah they had one thing on there but um good times on there it's a heavy heavy album and then paralyzer remember came out i was like oh wow this is different that had to that had to grow on me that song right so it wasn't my one of my favorites but it i quickly understood why it was as big as it was when we played it in front of like you know twenty thousand people and we play it as the encore and people are like you know they go nuts and it's like i get it i i totally get it now yeah, that that was the transition from like hard rock to more of a, a dance rock style. And yeah. I remember when that song came out, that, that must have been like 2007, 2008, somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, something like that, I think 2008, yeah. That, man, that song was undeniable. And that wasn't just Canada. That was like global, undeniable hit. And recently, in the last few weeks, Paralyzer was just certified five times platinum in Canada. And it is the only rock song ever to be certified five times platinum in canada like you guys have history uh you know history yeah, right you know there hold on i'm gonna show you something i gotta go grab something give me like 30 seconds all right so those that are just listening uh steve ran away to go grab something it was wrapped in a whole bunch of uh bubble wrap but uh so this is the uh the plaque that we were um, uh, given by the label. And I wanted to show this because I was still a fan when that song came out. But what meant the world to me was they gave me a plaque with my name on it, which is like unheard of. Like nobody, nobody gets a plaque for a song they have absolutely no part of, right? So when I saw that, I was like, holy shit, like, I knew it meant a lot to the guys and, and to the crew, but to get that was like, that was like, a, I, 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 I can't be more grateful for that. And just for them, like the success of like, yeah, five times, five times, but like, that's nuts. And it's funny, the band is so humble, like too humble, in my opinion, when they, when they um, got it, I think it was like the week after we were, we were no, the, the night, the Ottawa show, the, um, we were in Toronto the night before and we're in the, we're, we're in the car, we're, we're driving there and they're like, should we do a post about that? And I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah. And, and Sean looks at me, he's like, like, is that like a, a good achievement? Like whatever, whatever that was, like the plaque is like, I'm like, dude, you're the only one that can say you have that. He's like, oh shit. And then they don't do a post about it. Right. And it's just like, they're like, I don't know, like, like in their heads, they're like, I don't know, does everybody just, just get that? Like they're the, they're, they're the most humble, humble human beings you'll ever meet. And it's, it's crazy. It's like anybody else that gets that. It's like all, all of a sudden like social media, look what I did. Look what, look, look what I made. Look what, look what it achieved. These guys are like, yeah, you know, that's cool. And then like everybody, you know, just talk about our, like the kids in the, in the group chat, like as if it was nothing. And it's like, holy shit, like they're the most humble guys I, I've ever met. 
Um, yeah, like literally, no one, no has one ever achieved that. Yes, for for but, rock but, in Canada. But for them, yeah. But for them, they're just like, yeah, I don't know. It's cool to to back up your story. Um, so I'm friends with with Rick on Facebook, and I'm I I know his wife as well from yeah. some some other shows, yeah. and he didn't post. His wife posted yeah, saying, yeah. "My husband is is too." Um, what's the word he's too hum my husband is too humble so he won't post it but i'm gonna post it because it's a big deal so i only knew about this because his wife posted because yeah. she was so proud of the achievement so it's yeah. it's unbelievable yeah you know? these guys like they like it's when I, I remember saying like hey guys we should probably add this song in the set this was you know years ago and they're like yeah i'm like yeah like it was like number one you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They're like, okay, I guess. Well, you know, if if fans like it, I'm like, this is crazy, man. Like, like it, it, they don't they don't look at they don't look at stats. They don't look at anything. They they do what they truly do. What makes them uh, happy, right? And but that one blew me away. Like, I knew they're humble guys, but when they were talking about it, like, it's like, yeah, it's cool achievement. And then like carry on, you know, the day as if like they didn't just do something that nobody else has done uh, in rock music in Canada, but. Yeah, I mean, that's also why uh, it's not an accident why there's still a band 20-something, you know, odd, odd years later um, because of that. There's no ego. There's no, um, uh, there's no, like, um, nothing that really comes between the guys. You could see it. Like, we can be on the road for months and nothing. There's not really a day where it's like, no, nobody wants to hang out with this person. Like, we all hang out for dinner, go watch games together. It's like, there's a... There's a reason why the band is still a band today. Yeah, I, I think it's important that they did provide you with that plaque because you are also you're the the torch bearer uh, with that song moving forward. You're the one that's still playing that every right. night uh, when the live uh, greatest hits album comes out, you're the one playing that song. Uh, right. so, so you're a part of that history and you're the one, you know, carrying that torch moving forward. So I think yep. I agree with that idea to get that plan. Awesome. I think that's a good idea. And to further add to the legacy of that song. So five times platinum in Canada, never been done. That's a huge deal. That's say, you know, 400 to 500,000 copies sold. That's, that's huge in the U S it's it's over like 3.4 million copies sold so you know triple or quadruple platinum sure. in the u.s yeah but the just because u.s has 10 times the population the numbers are ridiculous yeah it's it's wild and the last time i checked paralyzer on spotify alone i think had over 100 million spins like just the numbers are ridiculous uh, with this two, uh 220 million now Okay, so maybe it was two hundred that it hit when I yeah when I yeah, but still, and that's but, just Spotify. It, like it could have the same on Apple. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. the music video yeah. itself probably I don't know is thirty million. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's that's about as global as you can get with a song. Uh, yeah. We 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 have another fan question sent in. This is from Shelly Terry, and on Facebook, there's kind of like an official Finger Eleven page yeah. so it's the yeah. finger 11 fan crew on facebook uh they always help me out prepare questions for these interviews and i give them shout outs uh she wants to know which finger 11 song is the most difficult to play and why so you might have mentioned before but just to dive into one yeah. specific song um most difficult to play 
was it quicksand you were saying or no yeah it was quicksand like if you're not it's not one of those things you can just sort of like set it and forget it because there's so many time changes Mm. in that song right so i would say yeah i'd go back to that you pretty much have to be you have to be on your game always to make sure that that song uh is is played right because there's a ton of uh, like weird odd time signatures that go on in, in that song and just like really cool fills that, that that are happening throughout um a lot of intricacy that, that goes along with it. so i'd say that one so seeing as we just had a question sent in from a fan yeah. i want to know what what's your craziest sweetest funniest most memorable fan interaction uh with your time with finger 11 has there been anything that stands out oh yeah big time uh one of them is uh, a fan, um, Megan. She made uh, finger eleven onesies for my daughter Evelyn when she was born uh, four years ago. She showed wow. up to a show with a little green gift bag, um, and she she's like, "Here, I know you just had a you know you had a baby recently. I wanted to give you a gift," and it was like it was all the albums on the on the onesie. It was like the coolest thing. That will always be um, the most um, memorable standout uh, things that uh, uh, from a fan. Super cool. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, sometimes you hear like a fan did something embarrassing or horrible or whatever. Right. So it's good to have like the good story. Man, them. it was like, it, it was so cool. Like, if, you know, I remember uh, putting it on the bus and the guys were like, I never got that when I when I had a kid. Like, why'd you get that? It's like I don't know. Like, just good timing, I guess. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. That's let's it. uh let, let's dive into the the greatest hits live album yeah. and and DVD. Um, so we had we had talked a little bit about it before that you you were the one that's mixing it. You talked about isolating Sean's bass parts, yeah. uh, different things. Um, let me just share my screen real quick. So I think I by accident already showed this picture, but can you see this? So, oh yeah, there we see are. This picture. So, um, this is uh, you and I and my friend Frank. This is uh, in front of the venue, the Bronson Center. This is you did the sold out Toronto show, sold out Ottawa show. All the yeah. fans knew that you were recording both and filming both. And the goal is for this to be a live greatest hits album and or DVD. Yeah. Um, and I have a quote sent in from somebody that helped make sure that the drums sounded and looked as good as possible that night. So Jordo. this is from uh, Jordo, Jordan Gauthier, um, who's a drum legend in Canada, working with Alexis on fire and the Arkells and Silverstein and finger 11. So he says, Steve is a real gem. One of the kindest people I know, an immense talent, both on stage and as a performer and in the studio as a producer. It's always a good day in my eyes when you're spending it with Steve Moe. Regardless, if he has horrible taste in hockey teams, <laughs> you, it's always the hockey. The, it's, always it's, hard hockey to be, it's hard to be a Leafs fan with uh, is, Ottawa fans and Montreal fans. Uh, he says, you think someone with who hasn't tasted a playoff series win in a while, cool. that they wouldn't have such great, great taste for picking good lunch spots. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, a little jab from Jordan Gauthier. Yeah, he's, he's a beauty, man. He's so good. I mean, I shared the quote from his last uh, uh, episode that, that, that you had. He's such a hardworking dude. He's just got a great attitude and uh, just a good hang. He's an awesome guy. Did you feel more pressure going into that Toronto and Ottawa show 
knowing it was being filmed and recorded or is it all just the same? Yeah, you you feel pressure in a sense of not not the like not the playing aspect because you playing aspect you just got to like you just got to do your thing, right? You got to hope that every show if it was recorded it would be it would be good, but um more of like just the technical sense like did it, things get press uh, uh recorded properly like is this um is the uh, you know being on the production side is like is the gain staging properly uh, uh set properly is um are things going to come back uh, distorted are is this mic going to get muted for half a song like it's more of those things the technical part that you're more nervous for but the playing part i mean you know that's what makes that that's what makes live live and and you know a, a song on spotify a song on spotify like that that's what you want you want those little uh, mistakes here and there that's what makes it live but um it was more of the technical part because i knew i'd be getting the files afterwards and i want to know how they're going to be laid out in my pro tools are going to be easy to uh to work with and um so yeah so it was more of that but i guess i think i think i can speak for all of us and just we just wanted to have a good show and i'm sure it would translate um uh digitally so in that picture that I showed with the three of us after the show, uh, you actually had the hard drive in your hand. So uh, you you collected the hard drive with all the audio files and you'll be the one that's editing and mixing. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I'll be at So editing, when you're editing a live show, it's, 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 it's more so just like if, you know, a lot, a lot to do with vocals in a sense where, you know, you're not singing perfectly like this live, right? You're moving around. So there's some uh, parts where the volume's like super loud and some where it's like you're far away and stuff like that. Well, in the studio, you'd want it to be as the proximity to be the same all the time. So you're basically just automating, like making this louder, making this a little lower, or it's like he really sang loud on that one. So it's kind of, it's, it's clipping. Like there's a bunch of distortion on it. So now I got to go um, declip everything and just like all those things that just don't sound uh annoying or a, a, like offensive when you're, when you're, when you're listening to it. So that's just going through all that. And you got to go through bar by bar and just, and sort of, you know, making sure that there wasn't a huge um, noise that popped through the microphone at that point. And you just, you know, you want to comb through all those things. So that's, that's what I'm at, to, at now. And I, I guess you would have to maybe edit the start and end of songs of like how yeah. they flow. So you fade in and other. fade out. Right. Um, uh, so you just got to pick those moments of how, um, and then you, you want to automate, uh, with with the mixing side, you want to automate for parts where the you know crowd singing along to a lot of things. You want to you want to push those those mics forward, right? And then you know you want to bring them back when you're um, when you're in in the, um, in the bigger moments because of you know just the way phase cancellation works stuff like that. So it's a lot of it's a lot of trickery there and a lot of volume automation back and forth. But um, yeah, it's cool. There's so many good moments and you get to see the reaction of songs. Right. You know, the whole like all of one thing pretty much Scott's drowned out because they're singing the entire song. And at that point, you just leave all those mics active the whole time. And and how did you choose which of the hits would make this greatest hits album? Because, you know, most bands never have a hit or they don't have enough hits yeah, to, even, to make even a just greatest to, Even hit. just to have a greatest hits. Is and with, with Finger Eleven, I mean, I was at that show and I know all the albums and all the songs. And if you, you guys actually have more hits than you can put on a greatest hits yeah. album. So if you guys have, say, 20 hits, you played about 18 of them, almost all of sure. them. How do yeah. you how do you choose? I guess it has to flow as a show as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the decision was for mainly for like vinyl. And there's only so much time you could put on and, you know, whatever it was. So it's like, those are the songs that you got to put on, right? You got to put on uh, 12 or 13 as opposed to 17 of them. So to choose the songs was actually quite comical because, again, the guys being so humble that they're like, you know, uh, you know, if, if management or if people are tossing around some song, some song titles, they're like, ah, you know, I don't know about that one. And we're like, why? It was like, number one, that's a call to hit. You could put it on there because you know what I mean? It, it, it's a hit. You have a bunch of them. And they're like, yeah, it was a hit. It's like, that, that did well. It's like, yeah. And then you, you show the numbers. It's like, like, oh shit, I guess it did do well. Like, again, like that's, that's how humble these guys are that they don't care about, about that stuff. And they sort of, it was kind of cool. They deferred to me for a lot of things. So like, I'm like, guys, I, if I'm a fan, that song better be on there. Like I better see that song on the greatest hits because I'm a fan. I'd be disappointed if that didn't make it on there. Right. Um, and that's how it kind of got picked. So it, it was like, it went back and forth for a while for like months trying to pick. And I remember they were saying, it was this funny comment. We were all on a, like a conference call. I forgot who in the band had said it. Um, it could have been Rick. And it's like, Oh, is it weird that like, you know, we have like, you know, one thing and then, and then like, you know, drag you down or it's like, it's heavy and like soft. I'm like, dude, like congratulations. You wrote like hits in every genre. Like, you know what I mean? Like not, not only can not, can people not even, most people do not have a greatest hits. You have a greatest hits with like pop rock, rock, top 40. Like you have hits Acoustic, everywhere. It's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's to them. They're like, oh, is that going to be, you know, a, you know, a journey for the listener? I'm like, dude, like that's incredible. That you even, you even, you even have that problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it was me saying uh, on the call being like, guys, that that's kind of like a, um, like that, that's an incredible accomplishment. Like I would say like own that you got to own that. Cause not everybody has that. And that's, you know, and then eventually it was like the song order. It's like, okay, now we have the songs picked. What's the order. And really there's no right or wrong order. When it's the greatest hits, they're all, they're all great songs. It's just picking for vinyl, I guess, like which sides or whatever. Yeah. You, you talking right now reminded me that when I did the interviews with the other two members, that every time I dropped stats of like, Oh, that went to number one, that broke this record. This was on the charts for this long. This went this time's multi-platinum. Yeah. Both guys were like, Oh, that's the first time I hear this. Like yeah, basically not, they I, said they never pay attention to charts and no, stats. I'm telling you. And that's not, that's not a lie. I know like a lot of people are like, Oh, like really? Like I'm that, I'm that famous. And, 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 but you know, they do know behind closed doors. These guys generally don't, don't know those things. They, they don't care. They just, once the song is out, it's not theirs anymore. It's the fans and let them enjoy it. And that's how they carry themselves with everything. It's pretty and, admirable. And when I, at the end of, you know, when I end a part with finger 11 and go into something else, a different subject, I would do like a wrap up of like, okay, let me just in a nutshell, give you what you accomplished in your career. And both guys were like, wow, I guess we've actually done some cool yeah. stuff. Like they yeah. were hearing, they were yeah. hearing like their obituary, like for the, you know, their, their <laughs> yeah. biography yeah. for the first time, which was yeah. cool. Yeah. So um, is there a timeline at all for the, the greatest hits album? Like it doesn't have to land at that time, but do you have a vision for when you would like this to come out or a. Yeah. I think everybody like, yeah. Every, I mean, there's always like what the band, hopes for and then what the reality is of you know with there's a bunch of people involved and um fitting into the right 
you know, uh, time of release for labels and stuff like that. I mean, I'd say next year is a pretty safe bet in 2023, hopefully, you know, like, you know, mid year or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it'll definitely be out hopefully in, you know, first half of, of, uh, of, of next year at some point, hopefully, right. That that's what we're aiming for. And there was somebody else at that Ottawa show that made sure you guys sounded as good as possible. So you had Jordan that was focused specifically on the drums, but then you had the sonic scientist, Dan, Dan Preston, Preston out yep. front. So he was the front of house sound yeah. tech. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. So Dan, Dan is a monster working with all these amazing artists as well. And um, this is what Dan has to say. He says, Steve is a beast. One of the most multilateral, good word, dudes in the industry. I have a high appreciation for people in this industry that cover so many bases and do it all very well. Steve is one of those guys. He lives and breathes music. He's been a true champion of me as well. And that respect is definitely shared. Love working with him and the whole Finger 11 camp. So that's from Dan Preston. Awesome. Yeah, Dan. Um, I'm, listen, we can only do so much on stage. That's the person that makes it translate out there. Right. Um, so, uh, they're sort of in charge. They're, they're the last line of defense between rehearsing, uh, the way, you know, we look on stage, the way we perform, the way we play, that's our last line of defense between, um, us and the fans. It's got to go through that one final person. Right. Uh, and Dan, I've been the biggest fan of Dan since, since I've seen him with other, with other bands, but there's always that after shows people like, Oh, you know, great show, great show. But every time Dan's on the gig, it's all, it's always like great show. You guys sounded phenomenal. That's the best I've ever heard you guys in years. And it was like this common thread of like, Oh yeah. Every time somebody says that's because Dan's it's honestly, it's like Dan's. And again, me being the guy that cares about the entire thing, right? Like from the production standpoint to the, to the track listing and stuff like that live, that's important to me. I, I need to know that what we're doing is translating out there. And I need to make sure that that happens time and time again. So anytime uh, it's like, Hey, we got a, you go, we got a tour coming up or we got a show coming up. It's like right away. I'm like in the group chat. It's like, go get Dan Preston, make sure he's number one. He's always, he's always uh, one for me. Right. Uh, and it's not to knock whoever we've been with a, a ton of guys who are, are, are incredible. I just, I don't know, Dan, I think Dan gets, gets the band really well, but I also think um, we just got a, we got a good relationship too. And he works his ass off that guy. Like anything we need is he's always, he's always, he's always looking to improve himself every show too. It's not like one of those guys that's like, yeah, I got it. I can handle it. And then it stops there. Dan's every day. Like we share, I just bought this new plug and I'm going to try to use this live on like, you know, kick drum and you know, shit like that. And he's, he, he's great. He's awesome. So I love having him. The whole band loves having him on board. I was going to say you must connect with him uh, be, as him being a studio audio guy as oh, well. Oh, and he's, yeah, and he's also a ridiculous guitar player. Yeah, the playing with Clark Nova. And I, I see him, I see him post, you know, 15 second videos uh, online of him just playing. Yeah. And man, this guy shreds like, oh, uh, he's crazy good. Yeah. It's he's unreal. And, and what's, uh, what you can appreciate is people understanding their role as well when they're, when they're, when they're, you know, put into um, a situation, when Dan comes, Dan's not 
than the shredder on guitar. We all know, like we all know that we, we see videos. He comes as like, Hey, I'm the guy that's going to make you guys sound awesome tonight. And he plays that role and he plays it so well. Um, and yeah, there's, I, I, I can't say enough about Dan. So final finger 11 question here. Yep. Um, rumor has it, you guys are working on a new album. What can you, so we have a lot of finger 11 fans that, that check out this podcast. The uh, both the Rick and rich episodes are two of the most downloaded episodes of all time for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, what info can you divulge for the finger 11 fans that can't wait for new music? Anything you can give us about the new album? Yeah, so we'll take anything. Anything there, there will be uh there will be a new single um next year, um for sure. Um I can't divulge too much information, but it has already been recorded. Ooh. And, yep. And um we're just waiting for the time again, time to do it. Like like I said, mentioned earlier, um on we had got we'd done these cottage trips, right? Before the pandemic and during and um, basically writing a bunch of songs. It's not like, yeah, they've been a band for so many years, but there's the amount of gas left in the tank to not just play live and tour, to create new Finger Eleven songs. That's what I loved about, about being in the band. Because if it was just, and I'll be honest, if it was just a band saying like, hey, we just need a guy to basically jump for the next you know 10 years and we don't care about new music. I don't know. I don't know if I, if I, stay maybe i do because i you know i love the guy so much but but that got me that kept me going was like i love that part and the fact that i know i'm going to be able to get to be a part of it one day um you know as a songwriter and, and also help out with the production of things uh and then we started we started writing a few years ago and i was like holy shit like these are these are some solid tracks like these guys care like it's not just like yeah we got to put out a single because we probably should i mean let's face it there's a reason why they don't put out songs albums every year two years they could because there's a ton of ideas always but they want to make sure what they're putting out is their best work and you got to appreciate that right as long, as long as they take between there's a reason for that um they care about what they're putting out there's a reason why there's a greatest hits album is because they gave a shit every album to put some incredible songs on there so we started working on a bunch of songs and uh there was one in particular that um um, we were all, you know, happy about and excited about and started recording it. And, um, yeah, so that's, uh, there's a bunch of songs. It's not just that song. There's going to be, you know, more that hopefully get rolled out through the next couple of years. So yeah, next year, I would say a finger 11 fan can be expecting uh, a new single. It's, uh, 2023 is going to be a good year for finger 11 fans. Looks like they'll be able to catch you guys on the road at different points, new yep. single, possibly new album with new material, possibly the greatest hits live album, man, it might be the best year ever for finger 11 yeah, fans. Yeah. I have, we're all excited about it. So I have a question sent in from a fan, but this fan actually has history with finger 11. This yeah. fan has actually worked on a couple finger 11 music videos and promo material. So this is from rich Meisner. Hopefully I'm saying, <laughs> oh, hopefully I'm saying the name, second. right? Okay, can I guess, ahead. can I guess the, is it a question or is it a comment? It's, it's basically a question comment, but you're probably going to say it. Yeah. Do you want exactly. me to say it or you're going to guess? I'll guess it. Go ahead. Does it have anything to do with getting a haircut? 
Rich Meisner says, <laughs> please ask him about his hair. The guy, the guy always has a fresh haircut. So it's kind of more of a joke than a question. But yesterday morning. Rich. Yesterday morning. Let him know I got one cut yesterday morning. Wanted to look handsome for uh, for, the, for, the, for show. the podcast interview. I, That's show, awesome. Yeah. So I had to include that from Rich because I thought that was funny. Um, so as we wrap up here, we've done uh, over over two hours. Uh, I like to end with a little rapid fire question section. So yeah. because we do have a time crunch because you're off to a, a practice or not a yeah. practice up to sound check. Uh, so rapid fire, quick answers, and uh, and we'll go from there. Sounds good? All right. Uh, what would you be doing if you didn't become a musician? Professional golfer. Professional golfer. I would golfer. try for it. Yeah. Do your kids think their dad is a rock star or just some schmuck at home? Uh, they definitely don't think I'm a rock star. Uh, I'm the kid. I'm the guy that just, you know, plays hide and seek with them and drops them off at school and, um, you know, watches Frozen or Enchanted with them. Um, but my four-year-old Evelyn uh, loves the songs that I I write and produce, and she knows a bunch of the lyrics. Um, and uh, she's always telling me to put certain songs on. You can tell which ones are her favorites, by the way. It's always like, uh, you know, Daddy put on put on this song. Daddy put on this song. And there's always like that handful of songs that she always grabs. So that it's like the best you know field test to know which songs are going to work. Does she like the song "Criminal" from Eric? Is it Punzo? How do you yeah, say the last she name? Does. She likes yeah, criminal, uh, nauseous from uh, from Eric, and also uh, um, uh, she loves uh, the new track. I I I'd actually just put out with a band called New Friends, uh, called Ricochet. Um, I think she's heard that about a thousand times now. She might have the golden producer ear. She could be like the next A and R, the next producer. You know. That's the early training like you got with your dad on the drums. Uh, yeah. did, did you ever get to a point where you seriously considered quitting music? You touched on that a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, like there's, man, uh, I can't count how many times. There's always that um, question of like, am I, am I good enough for this? Um, then you, you know, you, you're, you're busy and you're, and, and you're making money, you're making the career, but then it's like, now you get married, right? So it's like all of a sudden, like you're now it's like, okay, well, now we have, uh, we want to start a family. So at that point, you start thinking, I'm like, yeah, like, should I, should I be doing something else? You know, I, I'm in finger 11, I'm doing this thing, and I, I, I hope this turns into something else. And then, and then after that, that was the last time I guess I was like, maybe like, you know, 30 years old. I never, I never, I never asked that. But every time I asked that, I was kind of like, no, you idiot. Like, yeah, you're, you're, you're fine. But when you're younger, yeah, you've had, you, you, you you run into that uh, question in your mind a lot. Who would you say are your all-time favorite artists in albums? Um, all-time favorite artists. Um, uh, let's see. Um, Freddie Mercury is probably number one for me. Uh, the Beatles, obviously. Um, let's see. The Cure. Really love The Cure. Um, but for artists, man, like, again, they range like they I have, uh, you, you know, you, you think, uh, let's see, uh, Phil Collins, love Phil Collins, always love Phil Collins. I know Scott and I share that. Um, and yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, I'd say those ones. And, and again, like then the albums is, is make yourself white pony. Uh, the Phil Collins greatest hit album, 
very good. Uh, again, the cure, the Smiths. What? And then, what? In the, sorry, and, and then in the pop world, it's like uh, Bruno Mars, phenomenal, right? He's uh, that's one guy. I wish I got to see live. I so so talented. Yeah, can play all the instruments, can yeah. sing, can dance, yeah, you, and that's can songwrite. Yeah. Which musician or band were you the biggest fan of before sharing a bill with them with Finger Eleven? Oh, shit. That's a good question. Alice in Chains. Whoa. Yeah, wild. Where where, where was I? Minnesota. Minnesota. I think, I think it was back-to-back nights we had done. And holy shit, man. Jerry Cantrell. Like, Guitar wizard. Oh, my God. And James and I were just watching it's like side stage which is like both of us and all we're like this guy doesn't miss like and what's cool about jerry cantrell is you think after like 25 years of playing you know man in the box you you get bored and maybe do your own thing he plays it exactly like it was released nothing is different the guitar tone's the same the parts are the same Everything is exactly the same. And then you, you go back and search on YouTube for like the last couple of decades and every night is the exact same, every single song. And you got to respect that. Cause again, it's for the fans. If I'm going to listen for the first time, like I did that night that we played with them, I want to see, you know, uh, wood being played exactly how I remember it. And that's what they did. So I'd say Alice in Chains. What, what's also great about Jerry Cantrell is he, he sings a lot providing those harmonies yeah, that are, um, kind of the unique thing about Alice in Chains is yeah, is all, he, picks, all the he sings. I mean, in a, in a musical sense, he's always singing the fourth, which is a very uncommon uh, uh, note center to sort of uh, sing when you're singing harmonies. Yeah. Um, you know, typically it's like it's always like the third or the fifth, or you know. But he's always that's what made that so unique and so special, and what a voice that guy's got. Yeah. So Stained is one of my all-time favorite bands, and. Uh, Stain's basically favorite band is Alice in Chains. So in Stain music, you can hear that weird fourth harmony a lot. Oh, as well. yeah. Yeah, so for sure. A lot. I mean, a lot of bands for sure were inspired by that band. What's the best live concert you've ever seen, period? So not one that, you know, you were on the bill with Finger Eleven. Just right. is there a sh- concert that stood out as the best show you've ever seen? Oh, man. Shit, that's a tough one. Um Best concert I've ever seen. I'd say, shit, Foo Fighters at the Rogers Center was was. I mean, there's probably a bunch that I'm that, that, that I'm missing, but that one because it was like it was at the Rogers Center. Like anytime you could play like in front of like forty five thousand people, right? I guess just because it was like how big the venue was and how much, you know, how they filled the stadium up and had everybody like in the palm of his hands, like girls, girls nuts, man. So that was, uh, that, and we were like, I think like 10 rows, like, uh, standing right there. It was, it was, it was pretty awesome. If you could sit down with anyone for a conversation, who would it be and why? Ah, uh, can I say Dave Grohl again? <laughs> just because he Grohl. seems like, just because he seems like he's the coolest guy, but no, I, I, I like, it would be, uh, it'd be, uh, like, a. A producer like say um uh butch vig just just to know like in those in those sessions like what went on you know not just for never mind anything it's like 
yeah, that, that would be an awesome conversation. Just a, a couple episodes ago, I had uh, Canadian Idol winner Brian Mello from Hamilton, and yeah. his his choice for who you could sit down with was Dave Grohl as well. So yeah, so, I, I, so many a good people, choice. That's always their answer. Yeah, just because he seems like he just seems like a super a super cool guy to hang with. If you if you found yourself on death row, obviously falsely accused, you didn't do it, but you're on death row. You get one final death row meal. What is it going to be? You could add a drink to it. You can have a dessert. This is your last meal, man. You can go all out. There's no calories. Calories don't matter. What do you choose? You're sushi. Italian. I mean, oh, sushi. that's not the answer I thought. From Nobody and, and always throws people for a loop. They're like, you're Italian. It's like sushi for sure. Always sushi. All right. Last rapid fire question. When you find yourself in a rut where, you know, you're, you're not feeling great. Maybe the, the mental health, negative thoughts coming in. What do you do to snap out of it as quickly as possible? Hang with the kids, hang with the wife. I can say that now, whereas before it wasn't like that before it was like, uh, shit, I don't know. Like, you know, you try and go out or, you know, go for beers, go with buddies or something like that, but that always doesn't work. So, uh, but now I guess since having, you know, uh, wife and kids, that's the, that's the easiest one. It's like, you don't have a good day. It doesn't matter what happens, man. You go home and your kids, you know, run to you to say hi. It's like that kind of fixes everything. So in every interview at the end, I ask the guest if they can provide a question for the podcast that I'm going to ask the next guest without them knowing who the guest is, how old they are, male or female, what profession they're in, just a general question. You can have fun with it. It could be serious. It could be funny. And the last guest provided this question for you without knowing who the guest was going to be, uh, which is funny because it's actually Jordan Gauthier who, who, yeah, did, your, okay. who did your drums. But yeah. uh, he, without knowing it was you, his question is, do you have a pivotal moment where you realize that you had achieved a level of mastery at your craft? Ooh, um... I guess the Arnold Lanny moment. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I think it was that moment where it wasn't like a family member or a friend that acknowledged your talent or ability. Right. I guess this is twofold. It's like, it was the, it was Arnold. It was somebody who was incredibly successful already in, in the business who unlocked almost every achievement you can that put a stamp of approval on it. Right. So it was that. And then I think it was the, uh, joining finger 11 moment, right? It was like, again, same deal. It's now these are artists, not, not, not a producer that's doing it. These are artists that are, that have been successful and kind of getting their stamp of approval and being like, yeah, you're, you're the guy, I guess. I think it was, I think it was that being like, okay, this is like, this is more of like big leagues, right? This is where I belong. And, and I'm going to, you know, do my best to stay here. And now what question are you going to provide for the guests that I have coming up next without knowing uh, who it is. So it's kind of not, not really similar, but uh, I guess it could be, um, have you done everything that you've sort of set out to do? Do you feel like you're actually on the path where you can achieve that at this point in your career? So ask them if they've already done everything they've set out no, to do, if, or if, if, if they're on like, that path. If to, they're, to... if they're, so you have you have a a, a goal, yep. right? And 
sometimes the goalposts move and I and I realize that while you're you know while you're as you're getting older and this is that has that I guess the question is has that goal and that dream remained the same or have you altered it a bit perfect all right now what's cool is I actually know who the next guest is and I have Papa Roach drummer Dave Buckner which is pretty cool another drummer and uh an iconic band that you know they've been going for over 20 years and sold six point whatever two million albums so that that'll be cool to be able to say this actually comes from the finger 11 drummer so that's a a cool thread going through the podcast so final two questions and we're we're done um when you look back on your life and career what are you most proud of and what are you most grateful for um so in life, most grateful for, uh, man, my, my support group, like my family, uh, I have incredible parents, my relationship with my brother. Uh, most of the reason what I'm, I'm able to do in, in, in the music business is because my brother sort of like, you know, busted down a few doors to meet the right people that ended up being long time relations for me. So like my family, my wife, who's incredibly supportive, she's, incredible she takes care of literally everything outside of this room that i she takes care of everything there so i'm supportive of her grateful for that um um my kids obviously uh i have incredible in-laws uh brother-in-law sister-in-law like honestly my my just my like my, my family I have incredible friends uh very grateful for that and also uh on the uh career side i guess the thing that i'm, I'm most proud of um has nothing to do with really any of the achievements. It's how long I've been able to keep relationships with, with, uh, with good people. Right. So like I've had some of my relationships stem from, for like, you know, 15, 20 years now with the same, same core people that I still work with today. I think I'm most proud of that, that I've been able to keep the circle of, of, of really, really, really great people. And I've, I've been able to keep that, um, those relationships alive. If you could go back in time and sit down next to your 10-year-old self, so taking your lifetime of, of lessons and mentorship and training and achievements and heartbreak and all these different things, what advice do you give cute little 10-year-old Steve sitting there to help him navigate this life moving forward? Uh, I think I wish somebody told me how to learn, uh, how to deal with, um, uh, being told like, no, a lot, you know, get over it a lot quicker. Right. Everybody's super impressionable. And it's like, when you submit songs, it's like just to a manager or to a label, it's like, this isn't very good. It's like, man, when you're, you're, you're young, you, or like, you know, say a 10 with, with hockey, it's like, you had a bad game. It's like, shit. Like that's your, that ruins your entire week. Right. And I wish somebody taught me, told me how insignificant really that is in the grand scheme of things. Right. And to not really um, give everything so much, so much attention and so, and so much weight, because we hang on to things for far too long, way longer than we should. That um, determines how we sort of like live out our day or week or month or year. So I would say, I wish, I wish I knew how insignificant those things were that we thought was like the end of the world. And it's, it's nothing. It's a blip. 
And for our listeners that have stuck with us for the last two plus hours, um, where can they go online if they want to uh, stay in the loop with what you're up to, if they want to find out more information about you, if they want to maybe reach out and say, hey, I loved the podcast or I was at this show and I loved, you know, I loved you playing with Finger Eleven or yep. they they want to use your services as a songwriter, producer, drummer. Yep. Where do where do they go? Uh, website I mean, like, or social media? I have a website. Uh stevemomusic.com i think but if you search steve steve mo or steve malala like the, the website will come up and uh, uh instagram it's uh steve underscore underscore mo and they can uh, double underscore very important. double underscore yep um on instagram yeah yep and i always talk to a bunch of you know fans other artists uh everybody on there Perfect. So as we wrap up, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for your lifelong pursuit of mastery as a producer, as a songwriter, as a drummer. Uh, I want to acknowledge you for providing a, a safe, supportive, uh, professional environment for musicians to come in and work with you where you're helping them live out their dreams by working on their music, by recording. Um, you give them a platform to actually get out there and, and do what they're here to do. Um, I, I want to thank you as a Finger Eleven fan for giving uh, life to the band for the last 10 years. If they don't find the right drummer, who knows, maybe the band doesn't continue. So thank you for continuing the legacy of Finger Eleven for the last 11 years. I'm really excited to hear the new music that's coming out. So thank you in advance for the new creations that are on their way. And uh, last but not least, I want to thank you personally as a, as a fan for sitting down with me for the last two hours, uh, for allowing me to pick your brain and for answering questions that I wanted to know for a long yeah. time. So thank, thank, thank you a lot, Steve. And this, really was, this was awesome. It. You're a, you're a total pro, man. This is uh, this is amazing. I could have honestly, if it wasn't for soundcheck, I could have talked for another two hours. B busy man. We'll have to do round two. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe next year when something gets released, we'll bring you back on. Yep. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Have a great show tonight. And to the fans, thanks for tuning in. We'll, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks. Man. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, like comment and share. What I want to know is who would you like me to sit down with next for a two hour deep dive interview? You can let me know by reaching out to me on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Joel Martin Mastery. Joel is J-O-E-L. And you can find me on Twitter and Snapchat at Joel Mastery. So I am done. I am complete. I approve this message. And I'll see you on the next episode.